0: Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy-watch sci-fi movies and talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. yeah, Tonight
1: we're talking about 2001, A Space Odyssey. It's a 1968 film directed by the one and only Stanley Kubrick. So consider this your spoiler warning.
0: Yeah, turn back now if you haven't seen this movie yet and then tune back in. Uh, I have a feeling though, if you are a big fan of science fiction, you may have seen it. I hadn't. Yes, that so, really
1: surprised me. Really surprised me that you had not so seen I this film.
0: got stuck in and I watched it.
1: Good. About time. It's going to be a lot of spoilers. <laughs> Heaps of spoilers in this one. Um, so what was your number one takeaway, sorry,
0: from 2001, A Space Odyssey? The, the number one takeaway is that space travel and docking manoeuvres can be quite majestic and beautiful. Yeah. As this movie took particular delight in demonstrating a docking manoeuvre. Well, several, but in particular, the very first opening one with the shuttle, a very stylish-looking shuttle, I have to say. It it would fit right into modern contemporary science fiction. was docking with a great big sort of hub and spoke wheel space station, which is a waypoint between Earth and the moon.
1: But but was it only majestic because of the score, you know, because of the soundtrack beneath it?
0: it well, and and the <laughs> and the slow, considered pace at which it was filmed, yeah. and the angles. We saw and everything, the did There was no um, the point of that scene was the docking manoeuvre yeah. and the mm. the beauty of it, Yeah. as opposed to say nowadays we would uh, we're so familiar with spaceships docking that it's almost. It's bypassed. It's just kind. Of, it's like having a, the, You do it to to show. Oh, he's got to a space station. An establishing shot. Yeah. Like you might have some pull up in a car and get out. Okay, he's at this place now. Yeah. And you're here you, in in a modern film, where it's so commonplace in our um, I suppose mental vocabulary, our our film vocabulary. Yeah, you just have the spaceship come in a little bit moment where it docks, just to establish here they are. They get. We're in the space at shuttle. Paddy pops. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, this this was, uh, was nice to watch. Yeah, it's beautiful. Nice to watch. So that that's one, That's that one. Also, I think I've mentioned it before, but, yeah, quite naturally, of course, um, computers will kill us all.
1: Yes, of course. Yeah, well, because we have the great HAL, H-A-L, 9000, the computer that never makes a mistake, has not ever made a mistake since not, 1992.
0: Not in the history of all HALs, like. That immediately would have been a red flag for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, these really bright uh, astronauts pretty much, they start to reason that a little bit, don't they? You know, they start to go, well, hang on a second. Maybe you could make a mistake, but then they don't want to admit it to him because, of course, he's controlling the ship, isn't he?
0: Yeah. That's, so there's a
1: bit of a silly so human it, error, isn't it? Put that's, all that's the t- faith in the computer was, to run the ship.
0: Well, you've got to understand that back in 1968 when they're making this, we're at the very... Beginning of computers, computers were only just starting to turn up in business. Yeah. They had been in universities and defense departments. They just starting to up in business. So there's still kind of this idea that, yeah, you would just basically, why wouldn't you have the mm. computer run everything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now we're a bit older and wiser and see what comes of computer programming and artificial intelligence. And we realize that we're just, you know, the biggest failure that computers have is the fact that created by humans <laughs> once we've got artificial intelligences and computers being created by other artificial intelligence and computers we're going to start seeing an iterative improvement in quality yeah. but this computer
1: was so advanced that it, it was it was emotional it, it, and it even says that to them As you know when they then when they do question what it thinks about the mistake it says it's always human error yes and it's flawless such a great, it's always error. Error. human error. Every time. And the fact that because they've tested the same uh, issue, didn't they, back on Earth and it came back with a different response and why would there be a different response? Humans. Human error. Humans. <laughs> yeah. Get and rid of them. Look, you could argue the whole, the whole plot of the film is all because humans make I've, mistakes, you know.
0: I've always argued that if we didn't have people using our computers, they would be flawless. yep. Yep. Yeah. That's that's me as an IT professional. If I didn't have people using the systems I made, there would never be any problems.
1: And I I had a mate in OHS who when he learned OHS, the guy said, "We can design a room to be 100% safe." As soon as you put a human in the room, the safety level drops right down to about 5%. They become because, the least safe thing there. Yeah, because you can't determine what a human will do. Like a human might put their finger into a PowerPoint. Like you just cannot determine what a human would do. You no, can make the PowerPoint a very human safe. will put their finger in That's right. Or another
0: body part. <laughs> Who knows? The- so, so with that in mind then, uh, Mark, is this a hope, a warning or an experiment?
1: That's such a good space brain um, question, isn't it? And I, s- I see that you've got mugs available yeah, now. You,
0: it's <laughs> oh, fantastic. I, great. Haven't, I haven't hooked up the yeah. um, payment gateway okay. yet. i realise just... By the time this episode comes out to our
1: 10 uh, audience members, <laughs> both, of them <laughs> both of them who have
0: a job will okay. be able <laughs> to.
1: That's right. If any of those members can afford the mug, go for it. Um, I think it's an experiment. Yeah, I, I really do believe this is an experiment film, but I would love to know if I'm right or wrong. And I guess, and we're going to talk about it at length, I've been really gun ho about talking about this film. Um, it's an examination of modern life in 1968, a prediction of where we're heading as humanity and where we're going. And, you know, you and I have just briefly spoken about that, like with AI and and computer algorithms and, you know, all of that sort of human error thing is part of it. Um, the idea of the film also, I think, brings in aliens. Of some other wonder, wondrous sort of experiment, where the human—I think humans—are the experiment in a way to
0: these aliens. It's a little bit, the Beyond clearly. I, I agree. Yeah. A bit from that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I saw saw some strong connections. I mean, this film is much more mysterious than the Beyond. You know, they sort yeah. of spell it out a bit more in the Beyond, but this film, you know, just with that rectangle, that black rectangle um, I love, situation. I love,
0: I love that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just this dark black orb
0: is the alien or yeah. is the technology yeah. of the alien or no, the, the fact is that we don't know anything to do with one of these aliens will be mysterious so why try to account up with detail yeah it's just this featureless almost non-reflective yeah. matte black yeah. um and rectangle box yeah. and it's it may as well be that it may as well just be something featureless as being something fantastically detailed like yeah. you look at the alien from uh, Alien. Yeah. Like, it was fantastically detailed. It had yeah. little, you know, lines and ridges and mm-hmm. bumps and all bits and pieces that didn't make it any more explicable to us. No. It was still just as mysterious yeah. as being just, it may as well have been a black box. <laughs> in well, fact, in computer programming language, we do talk about black box programming where we just assume that uh, the, we don't worry about what's inside one part of the program. We only look at what it provides out. So we talk about this black box programming where, uh, we only look at what's on the interface, the very edge of it. Yep. There's the stuff that we get. Whatever happens inside of it, uh, we assume that it works, mm. or that it's doing whatever it's meant to be doing. It's not our concern. That's black box programming. Mm. And now I've just said that, and this, you know, the how computer. I'm wondering if, uh, if Arthur C. Clarke didn't in fact use a big black box yeah. in his story as a as a, as, as, a, as a metaphor for As a metaphor for programming, whether it's just black box programming, you know. Yeah, and I, and I mean...
1: Again, I I even thought seeing this, and I know you described it so well talking about that blackness of the alien in Alien, Mm. how they just made it—you know—it was was sort of like a never-ending sleek black, you know, the head of the alien, you know, like and we the nostrils being at the back, or if they are nostrils, whatever, and just that, but that blackness, and again, I think in this film, it's 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 you know obviously before Alien, but it's that idea again, like this mysterious. Foreign, alien, mm-hmm. unknown—you know—power. Uh, it's obviously got the ability to move around. You know, like it appears on Earth, it appears on the Moon, it's buried, and then it's in floating around Jupiter. Like, I mean, this thing has got power, but it doesn't have to be an alien like alien. It's just this black box. And and it also, in terms of story and filmmaking, you can understand you don't give all the details away. It's that old sort of example of horror films where. Don't give everything away, like reveal the least because a human's imagination is, can come up with something far scarier than you can ever see. You know, the, the kind of lamer horror films, you see the monster in the first three or four seconds of the film, don't you? And you're kind of like, oh, disappointed. Whereas when you don't see the monster for as long as possible, your brain is filling in the holes, isn't it? You know. So the most terrifying thing is what's in the corner when you can't see it. Once you see it, it's not so terrifying, you know. Yeah. So I, I think in a way this film probably borrows from that a little bit. But I think definitely an experiment because the film take us, takes us on that journey, the dawn of man, you know, to a more advanced human uh, colony that's in space and on the moon and then, and you know, and sort of conquering space a little bit and then also... What happens next, you know, after we have this brush with aliens, you know, which is sort of the ending of the film, I believe. So, yeah, I think it's an experiment. I think it's a, um, yeah, revealing to us what humans are like, you know, and we'll go into a bit more of that later in
0: the episode, I think. Yeah, I I definitely think also clearly an experiment. The whole structure of the film, I I could almost argue that there's not really a story Mm. in this film. Yeah. right. There's story elements, but um, in in so many other films, if you look, let's Star Wars. Similarly, you know, about ten years after this, yeah, it was made clearly a story. In fact, it's yeah. the classic hero's journey. It plot. is plot, yeah. Uh, Alien, likewise, is has got that start where they're all literally in stasis, yep. and it ends. She's going back in a stasis, yeah. You know, it has, and in the middle, there's some exciting Drama, parts. Yeah, uh, we're in this is kind of. There's exciting bits, tense bits, revelation bits, but you're almost not really a story arc mm. uh, in yeah. a in a classical sense. So there is obviously, don't jump down my throat. Well, no, hey, get on the yeah. get on Twitter and jump down my throat <laughs> if you want. But that's right. Tell. It, it won't help you. Tell tell, tell story. He's wrong. <laughs> you can try, but it won't help. So yeah, my, my rightness or wrongness doesn't change based on whether you think I'm right yeah. or wrong. Yeah, that's deep, isn't it? It is, it is. But anyway, yeah, so I, I did, have, I definitely think it's an experiment, uh, an exploration of, as you say, different different aspects of human existence, different aspects of life, different aspects of um, technology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and in the evolution of humans, there's also the evolution of tech. You know, yeah, the, that's right. The, the apes get the bone and they have the spaceships and then at the end there's some sort of, uh, wormhole-y type travel or something. It's not really told what happens, no. but he's either given a vision or taken away to some place to be um, exposed to some lesson yeah. or something. But yeah, there's that evolution there of, of of man and technology and yeah. And I, I I
1: guess I kind of think the plot is. Um... It's the plot of humanity in this in this version. You know, it's a science fiction version of humanity from the dawn of man till the dawn of some sort of crossbreed human man, which is at the end of the film. That's how it's, I sort uh, of see so it. Yeah.
0: To it various times.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I sort of I feel like it I suppose the because we don't have them. you know, at the start we've got 15, 20 minutes of uh, you know, the monkeys, the pre kind of human, and then the fact is the film sort of declares that once that they touch that alien object, then all of a sudden they have a bit of an epiphany of violence, you know, that they can use a weapon. The tool use, yeah. And then they're eating meat and then they kill another man, you know, like yeah. another monkey man. And um, and that's that's all it took, you know. <laughs> like humans took a massive leap after that, you know. And then likewise, like they touch it again on the moon and there's now they're sort of going to Jupiter. So there's like another leap, but there's no... You know, the monkeys are obviously ye- millions of years ago and then the people on the spaceships are different astronauts and then, you know, at the end it's a, some other creature as well. So it's sort of more the plot is, is, is man, you know, mm-hmm. as in humanity, you know.
0: So the Sphinx's riddle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so it's a big story in that way. So what about any uh, anything yourself in the world of Surrey in uh, terms of being creative at all? Anything to catch up the audience on?
0: Ah, uh, no, look, yeah, I I'm working on the shop, so the shop's sort of gravity undone, and it covers off some um, my creativity stuff, exit plan stuff, and space brains yep. stuff. It's uh, just a way of for people to show their appreciation. Yep, uh, help us buy beers. <laughs> help, help fund us our
1: work. million dollar studio.
0: Well, yeah, I've I've got to upgrade my my two dollar lapel mic. That's right. Uh, trying to get some. <laughs> And it's sort of some of that dampening foam so we can pull out some of the reverb in this place. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, no, I I haven't been doing like I'm organizing some interviews at the moment to interview some creative people. Yep. To get their take on everything for uh, the My Creativity podcast, which nice. um that's I've gotten a very enthusiastic response from that, mm-hmm. from direct emails or someone's just I haven't read through the email yet, but it's sort of a bit of a uh, a life story, a creative life story, if yeah. you will, uh, wanted to to see if they can get involved. And yeah. I thought, oh, okay, let's yeah. let's explore that. That sounds like fun. Um, yeah. So, so that's pretty good. I have been been watching. I've been playing through Netflix. At the moment, uh, I, I caught up with *Hungerford*, which is the first one of on *The Darkest Dawn* by Drew Casson, and that was very worth watching. In fact it's almost worth watching The Darkest Dawn first mm-hmm. and then seeing this as like a prequel yeah. rather than seeing this trying to watch it in the correct order. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because uh, The Darkest Dawn is clearly, um, it's this beautiful talking about evolution. It's an evolutionary step up. So The Hungerford was his first film. It was done on what is referred to as a micro budget. Yeah. Which is to say I don't think he had a producer or a production unit. I think it was him and what he could scrape together. Yeah. And obviously it's his first time he's, he's edited a full feature film together The rest of it, and it's quite a good film uh but you can see then having watched the dark storm and then watching this one i could see those parts that he's carried on he's going yep that worked well and then he's touched them up like he's he's notched up the dialogue a little bit and the yeah. the camera placement and all the scenes so it's, it's like a really sort of educational view into the growth and evolution mm. obviously i'm I really would like to see a third movie. Yeah, yeah, because if he's if he's still going to go like that way with from what he learned in Hungerford he used and improved on in Darkest Storm, if he has a movie 3 where he's picking up on and improving what he's done there, then that would be awesome.
1: That's excellent. I did want to say a shout out to Drew because he reached out on Instagram and Twitter, he's reached out to us and kind of thanked us for doing the episode and stuff, so um, and I would like to sort of get even maybe a bit more response from him and maybe some other crew members. But, yeah, it was really good for him to shout out. We've had a couple of shout-outs now. It's the third yeah. director. So it's excellent to get that kind of feedback, isn't it? You know, a little bit yeah, of, Yeah, well, we well,
0: really hope to get um, yeah, get a bit of a, an interview going with some directors, writers. Yeah, yeah. Of we add that into the space, brains, we love, definitely. We love the, um, the whole art and craft of of creating these movies and we'd love to you know, get different people's views on it who have had to, you know, deal with the the real technical issues of directing and and dealing with things.
1: And, I mean, you and I can joke and talk about what we feel about it. It'd be great, you know, if you have the director or the writer kind of clarifying or telling us what they thought or what their intention was, you know, that'd be fantastic.
0: um, There's always extenuating circumstances, like, because you go, oh, why didn't they just do this? And invariably, like, if we've thought of it, they've probably thought of it too but then why didn't they do it well that's a very good question that's that's actually what we want to know because there will be you know there'll be budget there'll be time there'll be equipment there'll be competing ideas uh who knows yeah any number of things and anyway so that's that's me and yourself you've if you've gone any further you've with these short scripts or you're currently developing a doco yeah
1: i'm doing that so that does I mean it's not really science fiction related but i'm doing that back on the tools of the camera and stuff and editing that today which was great and um yeah but i'm oh, i've got i went to this writer's uh little conference on friday night and in fact the producer behind other life was the feature uh film guy on the panel there okay. so I, I had a little chat to him afterwards actually about other life quickly And also about script writing and and he was saying that, yeah, he's always open to scripts and his big advice, of course, is read scripts. Like he he reads 10 a week, you know, because this is what is being sent to him and being suggested to him and all this sort of stuff. Um, And he's just like, you know, people send scripts that are, they're not ready yet. They're basically, you know, like a first or second draft and really they need to be about the 18th version (laughs) of the script. That's his opinion on it, but he's also really open to scripts and, um, yeah, he spoke a bit about Other Life and what what it took to get that up and a bit about Ben um, Lucas again you know, being such a great little creative director of Other Life and, and his other film, Wasted on the Young. So, yeah, it was good to have a little chat to him. But it was also great, this little panel, because it got me thinking because they, they had a web series uh, producer, they had the feature film producer, they had a short film producer and they had a doco producer. And people were pitching some ideas and then they were giving their intake on whether the idea would work in those formats or how you could make the idea work in those formats. So it was a really kind of, yeah, it was a great insight into, because some of them, they were like, that's not a feature film, but it's a documentary, you know, and, other, and they are like, you know, if you did this, that would make it a feature film. You know, if yeah. you, we kind of pushed the character this way, yeah, maybe it would make it a feature film. And even the short film guy was like, oh, that little bit you said at the start, that's a short film. <laughs> that's a great little thematic, you know, and it was such a good night out just to hear those different responses um from people in the industry in Perth you know that sounds great um and it was great as well because it's like wow this is these people are in Perth making this stuff you know yeah like, I would have loved to go you know, there so the, yeah I was like, um, camping yeah <laughs> there you go that's still just as valuable but yeah so because I've got a, I've got an idea as I said for a couple of shorts and I'm going to get one going in about a month like I'll get it I'll get it plotting. Um, and I've had a bit of an idea for a science fiction. Um, I, I feel like it could be a really good web series. You could make a series of them. So yeah, just just plotting through that really. Yeah. Um, but it was it was quite inspirational, just picking up some of those tidbits from those people on Friday night. Yeah, it was great. I liked it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> If only Stanley Kubrick could have been there.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. He'd be one in a million. So we probably should. So this is episode 10, sorry. We're up to number 10. Wow. It's a lucky number 10, 2001 like Space Odyssey. 20 weeks. Yeah, that's right, I think. <laughs> We've squeezed it in there. Yeah. So 2001, we should just go through some of those um, credits. I know You mentioned before, co-written by Arthur C. Clarke. Um, a little bit of a tidbit. I don't know if you Googled him. I Googled him. He's pretty much just written this and a couple other TV series and the sequel to this film, but he is responsible for satellites being used for weather forecasting.
0: Arthur C. Clarke.
1: Yeah, I mean this this is interesting, isn't it? Like he because he was a radio he was he was in the British Army, you know, in the radio telecommunications area. And when I googled him, they said that he basically was the guy that suggested. That uh, they should use weather satellites to predict the weather. <laughs> so he was sort of beyond um, beyond that. But yeah, I mean, he's written some different things, a couple of TV series, but he hasn't written heaps of uh, different stuff. I was expecting him a bit more. And obviously, him and Stanley Kubrick wrote. I think he's the written screenplay. like a lot of
0: articles and things. Yeah, and yeah, like short that sort stuff. of
1: stuff. Short stuff. He has written. Um, I think in the eighties there was a TV like science fiction TV series he was behind, and he did write the. There's a sequel to this, two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. Um, Kubrick had nothing to do with it, but uh, yeah, and that that was made in in the eighties. Um, and but he was also a bit of a recluse. When I googled him, he's kind of he went off to Sri Lanka and lived lived in Sri Lanka. Well, and he's, stuff.
0: He's well known for the quote: uh, "Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic," mm. which which is is it's. It's good quote because it has so many different sort of layers of meaning to it, uh, which I really quite like.
1: Yeah. it's um, Well, magic. Magic is important for storytelling, I think, isn't it? Don't you reckon? Yeah. I think
0: it's a, an ingredient in there. Yeah. Like, there's, there's not a single, I mean, the whole idea of science fiction requires there to be a magic leap. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just science. That's right. You can have a science movie. Yeah. Which is kind of almost a, and you get these sort of documentary movies where there is no fiction to the science. Mm. It actually is just a science um, documentary, basically. (laughs) So as soon as it becomes a science fiction, you've got to have a touch of magic. You've got to have that, okay, here's where science gets to. Mm. Let's just say there's some sort of a leap here what could happen
1: yeah yeah so. and i mean the good i think you know when you just talk about science in science fiction the good science fiction films they always push that to some element and even if it is like this film it's 30 years later you go well that never happened <laughs> you know or, <laughs> you know and even i thought i said to my wife after this like you know like you can imagine and then saying the moon landing and just going oh there'll be a colony on moon on the moon like that's the logical next step isn't it and yet we haven't done that, have we? You yeah, know, well, so there's not really much reason to do it, I guess. I suppose that's the thing, but you can imagine at the time in the sixties, them saying, Yeah, well we're going to the moon, we're gonna conquer the moon, we're gonna mine it, we're gonna build a little colony there, why would well, we well yeah. as the
0: whole space race was yeah. cracking along with full ball there? There was rockets going up orbiting the Earth. Yeah. the, the planned moon landing was sixty nine, which Stanley Kubrick of course filmed as a hoax, as we all know. <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. You don't think he filmed it?
1: No, no, because he hasn't been credited you think for it was on IMDB. George That's Lucas? the difference. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be more George Lucas's it, it kind have, of it work. It would have been one of them. I playing. think Kubrick. I said this to you before. I reckon Kubrick would have said he'll do it and then made a whole another film about making the hoax, just to kind of put it out there in the art world, you know, like oh, just true. to conquer it. <laughs> but Kubrick himself, you know, unfortunately, he's passed away now, many years, but. He is one of these filmmakers, and if people out there listening, they are into their film, they will understand that this guy is not just a standard filmmaker. This guy is what we do call an auteur. If you go through all of his films, this is his only science fiction, right? Oh, but
0: yeah, there's, some people sort of say Clockwork Orange might be a bit uh, of science fiction. I,
1: I, no, I disagree. But but they can say that. They can argue with me on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just that if you go through all of his films, he's, I reckon for me he's actually one of these guys that uh, it's almost like he conquered every genre in his own style. You know, yeah, it's he, really bizarre. Like he, he had he, a bit
0: of a taste of everything, didn't yeah, he?
1: Yeah, yeah. Ta- you know, um, all of his, none, he did comedy, he did standard. science fiction, he did the full-blown sort of action, he did a war movie, uh, he did the drama, he did a horror thriller, with The Shining, um, And it, it, but each one still stamped his approval you know and for me one of the things that stands out in his films is color and we'll talk a bit about that with film language but he i don't you don't really see many filmmakers that choose such a bold level of color that stanley kubrick does and of course you can go oh it was the 60s it was flamboyance it yeah. was flares it was things like this but no you even if you go back and watch a whole bunch of 60 movies you don't see what well, you see well you, in you look film. at say for
0: example the james bond films at the time yeah it was all the browns, yeah, and the, you know, and, and they were trying to show stylish, yeah, that's right, you know, yeah. fashionable people, and but they're wearing sort of the browns and the and the greys and the, mm. the muted reds and things, yeah.
1: So anyway, this guy is a bit of a dream to talk about, I think, from a film point of view, and I think from a science film, this film does a bit of both, yeah, and it stars some actors. These guys look. It was filmed in Britain. I, I think these a couple of these actors are British actors. Looking them up on IMDb myself. They're not, and he quite often in Kubrick films, you'll notice this. Yeah, Jack Nicholson is in The Shining, but a lot of his films, the actors are just real good working actors. Mm. Um, All the guys in this, I think Kerr Dully, Gary Lockwood, and William Sylvester, sort of the three key characters in the film, throughout the film. You've got the two astronauts and the doctor. Um, all all those three, when I looked them up, because I, I don't know them, like, mm. I'll, I'll be totally honest, yeah. I ha- I don't recognise them, but they you know they start in TV series as a main character, You know some show that went for six or seven years. One of them was The Million Dollar Man, um, which was a show that ran for about eight years in the US. The um, Million Dollar Man? Well, the Six Million six Dollar Man, years. sorry, yeah. Um, really? and, so what
0: was that? Uh, I thought that was uh, not Lee Majors, I think it was Six Million Dollar Man.
1: Anyway, look him up. There was one of them was part of it. Um, Uh, Maybe Gary Lockwood, if I'm right. I might be wrong. Might be wrong. But yeah, these are good working actors. But you know, not like yeah, superstars. Did I get that wrong? I mean, tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) And of course, 2001 was filmed in. Oh,
0: Gary Lockwood was in Star Trek pilot episode. Oh, there you go. How about that?
1: Yeah, there's another connection to science fiction. And, yeah, all of these guys pretty much worked throughout the 80s and the 90s and kept working, you know, well after this particular movie. And as I said, there was a sequel, 2010, uh, but Kubrick had nothing to do with that.
0: No, that was Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. There's, there's also uh, actually a great book I read of uh, Clarke's is The Rendezvous with Rama. Mm. It's been option for movies many times. Yeah, right. Uh, even morgan freeman has expressed his desire to produce a movie based on it oh, right and having read the book it's you can you can see the similarities with 2001 space odyssey it's a lot of, yeah, it's not it's not a character driven story it is very much a science driven story yeah you know, the characters are all just sort of competent hard working scientists yeah yeah you know, there's there's not really a love story there's there's a there's a bit of sort of family stuff going on there but not not that, not really any love stories or any of these sort of person-to-person conflict, it's all exploring the science of this alien spacecraft, basically. Yeah, right. Uh, which, yeah, you can sort of see similarly in 2001, there's not, uh, we don't have a dramatic love interest. We don't have, no. uh, there's a bit of it's a bit of uh, that doctor at the start talks to his daughter, he can't make the yeah. birthday party, but there's not really much made of that, <laughs> except you got to think, oh, well, whatever he's doing must be pretty serious if he's yeah. going to, Travel on the day he knows is his little daughter's birthday, which and he's clearly quite fond of his little daughter. So, I guess it sort of introduces how serious it is. But there's no, it's again, it's not character driven in that sense. No, so, no.
1: And the film, yeah, the film doesn't dwell on any one character for too long, does it? And I have
0: a feeling that's the reason Rendezvous with Rama, though it has been optioned since it was written. So it was written in seventy three. So it's forty. Five yeah. years. Wow, that's a long time it, of being it's, optioned. <laughs> it's been optioned constantly. That whole time, little um, probably needs Tarantino little, to take it up is, or something, doesn't it? You know, like. But I have a problem. I think the problem is that it doesn't have like this these human dramatic parts, and but it, it also doesn't have big space fights or anything. Mm. It's the the book, and what's really good about it is it is exploration of these scientific topics. Yeah, and. Uh, 2001, same deal. Like it's it's his exploration of scientific topics, and it took uh, you know someone like Kubrick to go, well, I'm bold enough to just, just make a film that's just an exploration. It's part yeah. art film, part thriller, you might say there with Howl, and yeah. you know, and and part just science exploration. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite, quite challenging to, to make that one as well. Yeah, definitely. But, but so look, the, we'll put it out there. Someone maybe, might make it. <laughs> maybe you will, Mark. Maybe, you <laughs> will. maybe
1: we will. Maybe we can take them up.
0: Okay, so the, we've talked about the plot and I'm, I'm going to go through it because I think, I think the plot can be done quite quickly. There's yeah. large portions of this where it's scenic, uh, you know, visual examination. So the movie starts with... Uh, two tribes of ape people. Yep. They sit about grubbing for grubs mm-hmm. and plant material. Yep. Then they, they fight f- and They, they f- mm. yeah, they fight over a waterhole. Yeah. And and the fight over the waterhole is just a screaming match. Yeah. yeah. And dis- they, they each just do displays yeah. of uh, how how can how uh, determined they are. Oh. And so one of them gets it. But then... But they, there's also a fight and flight world because, um, like, oh, a leopard kills a leopard. one of them. Yeah. Is that not the greatest angle? Yeah, or, yeah. Because
1: then they're, they're terrified, you know, like at night time they're not really sleeping. Oh, you know no, what I mean? No. So it's a real... No wonder they're so
0: grumpy. Yeah, I know. Because they're not getting good sleep. <laughs> so, But then one day they wake up and there's just this black monolith sitting yeah. there. It's just a black rectangle and they... They, they, they sort of carry on a bit like pork chops for a bit, as you'd expect. Yeah. As you wake up in some monolith <laughs> in your bedroom, you go, what the hell? <laughs> you uh, would. But, I think you would. But they touch it. And the next sort of scene there's the one that sort of touches it is sitting there looking at these bones and, and you can see he's thinking. He has an aha. Up, in, up until then, we haven't seen these guys really no. thinking. They've just been getting a bit of food and carrying on. Mm-hmm. And then he, he takes up a bone and he uses it to uh, initially hunt animals. Yep. And then... The next time they're fighting over the waterhole, he kills one of the other eight men. They kill one of the eight, yeah. And he stands up and he goes, yes, I'm the victor, and he chucks his bone up in the air. Mm. And then we have this beautiful cut. I can't remember what sort of cut it is it's called. But as the bone's falling down, it cuts to being a spaceship yeah, orbiting so the good. earth. Classic. <laughs> uh, from, from there we find that, yeah, so this doctor is, basically, basically the doctor goes up and, and gives a spe- speech about, he says nothing. Yeah. Which is what struck me was like the content of his speech is like so you've said nothing you sympathised yeah. and then said any questions and then you said I can't answer any But I, I liked that
1: because it was kind of like a very I mean you and I have been in business meetings like that where it's just like you're sitting there and it's pretty much nothing yeah, and and true. I liked that although it's like epic we're on the moon because he's come to a moon colony yeah. he's basically saying oh thanks for putting up with this cover story that there's an epidemic on the moon yeah. colony and no one's allowed to land here and everyone's and because one of them's like how long do we have to keep up the cover for you know oh don't worry your family you know we're reassuring the, your family yeah. that it's okay you know like for as long as we need to yeah yeah but yeah. We're, we as as you know it's sensitive this situation we don't really know once we know more we'll we'll do more
0: <laughs> yeah so we, we do eventually find out and they they've uncovered uh a monolith the, Another one. As the ape yeah. on the moon has been buried for four million years yep. the impression I got was it was buried at the time the one that appeared on the Apes
1: yeah, yeah. that's what I did too yeah
0: this one appeared on the moon yeah uh and then it gives off um, a big screeching noise, yeah. and then we cut 18 months later. Yep. Spaceship is heading off towards Jupiter. And on this spaceship, we learn about these uh, there's five astronauts, two of them awake, three of them in um, hibernation.
1: Hypersleep again.
0: Well, it wasn't hypersleep. It, they made it, it as hibernation, so their heart was still beating, they're yeah. still breathing, they're just very slow. That slowed them right down. Yeah, so. Uh, that was good, I liked that. And we met HAL 9000, this yeah, supercomputer yeah. AI Computer that controls the networks. whole thing. Uh, there's a failure on the spaceship, uh, the astronauts have to investigate it, uh, but they can't find any problem with it. HAL assures them, oh, no, absolutely there's a problem. I can't ever be wrong. <laughs> yeah. The Earth-based yeah. The Earth-based people say, well, our HAL 9000 says there is no problem and it can never be wrong.
1: And they do test it and they've, they've, the astronauts are saying they can't find it.
0: Yeah, say, there's no problem. HAL says, no, absolutely there is. The other HAL says, no, there's not. Yeah. So the astronauts say, hide away instead of going, oh, I think, I think we might want to turn this Hal off until we figure out what's going on. Hal doesn't like that and kills No. Him. <laughs> except, for, except for Dave. Yeah. As well know, the, the very famous line of open the pod bay doors, so yeah, Hal. That's I'm right. sorry, Dave, I cannot do that. And oh, you, you, so I, good. Was, I was waiting the whole movie for that one line. Yeah. And, but, uh, yeah, and was, I, I, I liked, <laughs> we'll talk more
1: about it soon, July, but I love how Hal says, he goes, oh, well, I'll go through the manual hatch. And he says, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <Imagine>. well, <laughs> he's stuck in this pod. Like he's going to have to try something. And then he does it and he gets through. Mm. And, then, and then what is so cool about Hal is then Hal starts freaking out because he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Cause he, and he won't answer him, you know, and it's like yeah. he's running, you know, he runs through the ship to turn him off and it's just like hell's going, to stop doing that. Uh, there's, there's <laughs> oh,
0: such there. a good scene. Like, oh, it's but the, uh, nail-biting stuff. So he turns, he, he, he does turn up Hal and then we discover that the, the thing, the, the obelisk, uh, obelisk, the monolith on the moon sent out a signal to Jupiter. Mm. So go investigate what's happening. And he does, and he goes, in, and there is a monolith floating around Jupiter. There is, yeah. And that's when things get a little bit disco.
1: They do, they do. Uh, we get some really good '60s film effects here.
0: Yeah, which is some of them were actually really good. Like some oh, of them look like computer animations yeah, yeah. that would be effective today. Mm-hmm. Some of them look just like filters, color filters yeah. type of thing over landscapes. But you know, such as 1968 technology. Well, that's right. Yeah, I was impressed because some of it was.
1: It was like it reminded me of an ultrasound,
0: mm. and I think
1: maybe I think maybe there was a bit of that used in it. I reckon. Yeah, and I, was, then, I was
0: reading about the the different shapes and things they're yeah. using draw charts, chat tests, and they're using various charts. And That's right.
1: Tables and it go. I mean, and and there was some landscapes where he's like saturated, you know. So the it's probably like an ice mount, you know, like a snowy mountain, and of course, he saturated the snow to be pink. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of like you're a bit. You know, yeah, dis- pink and
0: blue. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: then maybe lakes or something and the lakes are, are green. So they kind of just look really abstract to us. You know? Yeah, it
0: looks... <laughs> very a, alien. I've got that feeling that it was, it was sort of depicting that this fellow was travelling through... Some sort of An tra- altered set of dimensions. Because yeah. you've got the Doppler effect. So when you, when you travel faster, you you catching up to things ahead of you yes. faster. So you get a red shift of colour. Yeah, and of was... And sounds go up in pitch and so, yeah. if so, if he was travelling through like a wormhole yeah. type thing, um, I think it was quite a
1: good effect. Like yeah. that scene, um, there was a terrifying sound underneath it. Like, of it was like a choir, and then also like a, a whooshing sound. And it was kind of a, oh, was kind of. I was a bit creeped out during that moment. Yeah,
0: there were a couple of effective like, noises in this. So yeah, that I was, I'll talk about it a little bit there. Yeah. And but anyway, so he goes through the wormhole. He what happens? The wormhole. All of a sudden, well, he he finds himself in a it looks like a baroque French apartment. Oh, nice, but the Ugh. floor is these you know glowing white tiles, mm-hmm. which is sort of very sci like in the moon base yeah, ceiling yeah. basically, but on the floor. And he he walks through, and it's just this. There's nothing odd in there. Uh, what would you call it? 18th century, 17th yeah. century French palace yeah. type of thing. That sounds pretty. And he turns around and. You're hearing his breathing the whole time because he's in his suit and he turns around and he sees now there's someone sitting out in the other room eating dinner and it goes quiet and there's someone turns around and it's him, an old man.
1: An older version.
0: Yeah, and so then we're taking it from his perspective where this guy sort of looking around, frowning at where the spacesuit, but there's no spacesuit in no, person there. No. And so he's, he eats a bit of food and he knocks his glass on the, ta- on the floor which breaks and when he goes down to look, he he looks over this bed. And there he an is older man. an an even older man who's clearly at the end of his life. Yeah. Uh, and then we sort of the camera moves to be from his perspective, yep. where he's like reaching out one last little bit, and at the foot of the bed is this obelisk. Yeah. monolith. I keep calling it an obelisk. Monolith sitting there. Monolith. 7. And we we zoom in close to it, and then we get the da 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 dun dun. dun, 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 dun. Music. Yes, and then we 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 go into this space because always when you get that the, the when the ape touched it, you know the sun was peeking over and there's like an alignment of planets. And here we get the same sort of thing. We get um, it looks like maybe it's Earth or, or the moon or Jupiter or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Who knows? It wasn't Jupiter. It was either the Earth or it's one of the moons of Jupiter. Lining up. With yeah, the it's sun. like all and, lining
1: up. There's three or four planets. Sort and of then thing, like
0: isn't a. A halo, so it yeah, comes in yeah. from one end and it, and it appears, and it's like this fetus in a bubble. Mm. Uh, that's <laughs> and at this time, you're know, if you haven't seen this movie and you're listening to us talk about it, you'd be sitting there going, "What the?"
1: I know, yeah, and that that is on? the response, really. You're like going, but "What?" Even watch, even watch what? the film,
0: you're kind of going, "Okay, what could, is going on here?" I don't think we can take this literally. I don't I don't think there's literally a fetus in a bubble floating. Above. Through space that is the size of a planet. Yeah. No, no, no. So no. clearly clearly we're getting a bit of <laughs> bit of metaphor here, a bit of size miscomparison and and yeah. so forth. But yeah, and that, and it, it basically ends there with this fetus yep. looking its eyes wide open, just like looking at the earth. Yeah, looking at Earth. Um, yep. Apparently in the book, and maybe even some director's cut, I don't know, there's something about nuclear weapons exploding. Mm. But uh I actually after having watched it, I've read that little bit and went, what, and watch and watched back through the end bit. Definitely, in the version I watched was the no. theatrical release. It was just this, um, basically, the hemisphere of the earth yes. on one side, and then the uh, fetus bubble on the other side, That's right, looking yeah, at yeah. each other.
1: That's the only version I've ever seen as well. Mm. I haven't, so done, it, and I don't think there it might is just, a direct. It might just version. be the book. Yeah, maybe it's in the book
0: because the uh, the idea is that he, he comes and like destroys those weapons yeah. because there's now. The next step, yeah. Much like the uh, the eight man gained this new tech, yeah, and so the star child yeah. is that new tech. So yeah, as you can see, there's not there's not a huge uh, obvious story to all of this, no. But it goes for nearly like two and a half hours if you watch the whole thing. Mm. Uh, if you don't watch the credits, so I think you can get down to bed. Two hours, 20. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you fast forward that to four minutes and 30 seconds of just music at the start as well, of blackness. Oh, yes. <laughs> is, is part of the viewing experience, I think, this I, day I was going to say, age, the whole know? viewing
0: experience, that would have been so intense seeing this in the cinemas. Yeah. Because if you'd go in and knowing that there's going to be some major bit of science fiction going on yep. there, and it just goes dark and it stays dark and there's a bit of music playing I like, so it. Because it opens with that um, very famous two thousand one yeah uh, hit. Uh, is that like the um, "Thus Spake Zarath?" I can't remember the piece of music it is. No, I don't. I don't know. You, of now, the top. Everyone knows no, the two thousand one yeah. space Odyssey music. Because right. then it just suddenly cracks into that, and it the does. sun comes up over a planet. Uh, you know, the moon and the earth and the sun are all in alignment. That that would have been. Yeah. And then, and then watching that a whole. 10 minutes unfolding of the apes. Yeah. You, you would have been questioning you what the were hell is going on. You what, what am I into? Yeah. I think this is a space movie. Yeah. Why are there apes? Yeah. Uh, but then, beautifully Absolutely. enough, of course, just I think just when you're sort of questioning that, you start getting into the story of it. You do. There's two sort of tribes that meet at the waterhole and have yeah. a bit of fight. And then they're, yeah, that, that one guy got eaten by the attack okay. by the, the leopard and they're, they're hiding in the caves and. You're starting to get into this story, yeah, yeah. which has got no dialogue because they're eight men, of course. But then you get this obelisk there, which is just that little slap in the face. which yeah. says, "Oh, you, yeah, by the way, science fiction." <laughs> That's right. In case you here's wa- the weird bit. In case you're wondering. Yeah,
1: in case you were just fiction. questioning if you're going to walk out of the theatre right now. Yeah. <laughs> so here's your alien.
0: And that, that, that reminds me, the, the other part of that viewing experience, being in the original cinemas watching this, that opening, once we get out of that um, apes, we go to the space stations mm. and the docking procedure. Yeah. Uh, and that's just the blue, the Danube waltz, I think it's called. Yeah. And it's just beautiful and such excellent resolution. It's just mm. it's such high quality um, space special effects. Yeah, yeah. You, you would just be, I think you'd be mesmerizing seeing the cinema, seeing that for the first time back 68 mm. when previously – that sort of quality of space vision yeah. could only be dreamed of.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, like, I think that sort of juxtaposition of the music and the high quality of the, the space models, etc., they used uh, with some movie magic of the time. Again, I kept thinking, like, when I watched it this time, I kept thinking, oh, this would be so digital now. And there's glimpses that you can tell, oh, that's a model... Green screen, but but it's done really really well. Oh well, that's and a, the, the models middle, are so. They didn't have green
0: screen sixty eight. No, I was looking no. at the last. In fact, the technology that they developed so they, for this movie, yeah, was last used in a blockbuster nineteen ninety three. Yeah, right. Cliffhanger. Yeah, okay. With, with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Right. So, so they just build the it scale. It wasn't. We didn't have the technology in computers and digital manipulation until the nineties. Yeah, yeah. To be able yeah. to do green screen effectively. Yeah. Okay. So this was. Uh, a front projection. With right. It's a very groovy bit of, like a really good bit of analogue um, green screening basically. Yes, yeah, where yeah. using two-way, you know, mirrors and So you're sort of projecting
1: and, them into the scene and yeah, choosing yeah, that scene. Like so yeah, yeah, you've projector.
0: The projector's like right angles and bounces off a mirror. The camera yeah. looks through the mirror, mirror at yep. the scene and the actor there. And then they use lighting. To alter the contrasts, yeah. to make sure that the actor and the scene merge merge together. Merge together, yeah, yeah. And most of okay, those awesome. things, they don't tend to show the feet, no, because it's hard to get the floor looking yeah. a part of the scene. Yeah, right. But yeah, so I was amazed because, like you, I was watching going, yeah, I, and I thought yeah, green screen bit here and there, whatever. But when I, I, I quickly had a look after that, um, to go how they get that, that that docking procedure is so beautiful. Mm. And the camera swoops through the space station rings and this thing sort of lines itself up and you're looking at it going, you know, they didn't have computer. I mean, I can do that quite easily on my computer now, but mm. the computer I've got now is like would be the equivalent of a supercomputer in the Yeah, yeah, of course. Like in fact, beyond what they would consider to be a supercomputer. Yeah. Uh, so how do they do it? And it's all practical, analog. Yeah literally movie magic, whereas nowadays it's digital magic. Yeah. Back then they had to use mirrors and glass plates yeah. and special lighting effects and choose the camera angles just right. And, yep. Yeah,
1: and that story cross, yeah.
0: I think he did that scene so beautifully. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm accidentally sliding into best scene there. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, well, I mean, for me,
1: again, it's a bit like Alien. I, I kind of – I watched this one uh, with my wife and it was – I mean, it's interesting – when you go back in time to any older movie like this, I mean, it is getting a bit old. The pace is is a lot slower.
0: Yeah. You know, like I, the I pace to, of editing. I had to remind myself that this movie was pre, uh, I mean, pre-Star Wars, obviously. Yeah. Because Star Wars then combined a lot of took some of that, that technology, added a little bit more of its own. That's right. To make this incredible fast-paced dogfights and That's right. laser yeah. shooting using that visual quality mm. that us, that um, Kubrick had sort of yeah. pioneered. So this is before all of that. This is back yeah, yeah. when space movies were just kind of, you know, pretty shonky. Yeah, yeah. Really. You know, they were like, um, you know, some... Shonky set. Yeah. Oh, we are in a spaceship and <laughs> outside with the nighttime sky or something <laughs> yeah. You know, like. Yeah. And then this movie just sort of comes along, and I was watching that that opening space sequence, yeah. and you would be hard pressed to do better with digital stuff today. It would you? Would like, yeah. You'd be able to with the digital stuff. You'd be able to take uh, a little bit more. There wasn't a lot of model no look to it because of the way the camera moved through That's there. That's right. Yeah. But even so you'd be hard pressed to do better. I've I've seen modern contemporary science fiction which doesn't produce as effective yeah. a look. This
1: is the real example that sometimes that physical model can just look better than digital. Mm. You know, and you see that and I think the digital needs it obviously needs a lot of money, a lot of power, you know, a lot of effect to it to make it look good. I think now in 2019 you're starting to see special effects digitally that you're like wow, blown away with and even on a low lower budget, you know, but when it's done this well like it is in two thousand and one, it just stands the test of time. Like you're watching it now in twenty nineteen going far out. How yeah, the, the hell,
0: like how the hell did they do that? You know, yeah, the, like, only, the only you, difference now as you said is the sort of the pacing like that. Yeah. Well, yeah the overall That's film, a,
1: the pacing is slow. That
0: document maneuver procedure is like five or eight minutes yeah, long or something. You wouldn't get anything that long now. There's no dialogue, it's just music. And it's it's beautiful to watch and in, in watching a movie like this, you, you have to put yourself in the mindset of 68. You'd, you can't be looking at yeah. post-Matrix. No. You know, the Matrix is one of these watershed moments where action movies got slick. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and got, you know, super fast cuts with... That's right. There's, there's amazing digital effects in the fight sequences yeah. and all the rest of it. Uh, you've, you've got to go back to the 68 where you're looking at still cameras, like steady camera, single scene yeah very little movement Uh, and then you suddenly have this thing where there's cameras are flying about the place different angles there's weird space angles yeah where people seem to be walking on the roof and yeah going upside down and along walls and things but they're (laughs) you know obviously the cameras just at different angles but the sets have been made to look just remarkable yeah
1: um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd seen this film a couple of times. Uh, it was one of those ones that, you know, again, going to film school, it's like, oh, you've got to watch Kubrick. And I had not. I was a bit naive uh, before going there at sort of the age of 18. And I remember watching this film just going, whoa, <laughs> and that was 20 years ago now. And uh, so I did watch it a couple of times during that era and loved lots about it. It's one of those films that you talk about with other people who are into film and, again, you go through Kubrick, Kubrick's films and you're like, wow, I can see what he does there and he does that and he does that. Mm-hmm. He de- the long, slow shots that he has, like, people dealing with not so much emotions but sort of, like, real long mental thoughts and colour, as I said before. So you see these kind of repetition you think, wow, this is a filmmaker, like I said before. This is someone that's a, an artist, you know, like, it's, it's a different level than you get from a lot of filmmakers um, throughout era, like not, not even just modern era, like all, all the time. It's hard to get directors like this, you know, that have a vision. Um, and then watching it this time, yeah, again, it was one of those things like, you know, my wife and I sat down and she was a bit like once we got into it, it was, oh, I don't know if I can get through this now, you know. <laughs> like, and, that, yeah, and that's what yeah, I mean by right. pace. It's, like, It's a long, you, slow you, film. It's a sure. long film. It is slow when you compare it to a modern-day film, you know, like this. And, again, you can go back, you can watch lots of old films in the 60s and even earlier. They, they are a lot slower. They, they reveal a lot more dialogue. Even though this film doesn't have heaps of dialogue, um, the pace is quite slow. Like I remember, you know, when the Doctor first gets on the, the space station, and he meets those other doctors and they're like, hello, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, barbecue. Yeah, you want to come for a barbecue? You know, like, I was just there, and it's just one long shot really and it kind of cuts between a couple of over the – it's like they, if these days they had dialogue like that, it would be chop, 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 cut, 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 you know, like you wouldn't – and he just lingers on these people, you know. Um,
0: well, and even – He gets even, asked that question about it and he, and he sits there and crosses probably like his leg and like a minute of film him. goes by, you know. Uh, I can't really comment on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, and even like, as we said, the boardroom scene, you know, like, oh, it's time for him to do a speech. And he, like, sta- you see him stand up and for walk the revelation. up, like, yeah, and he doesn't give us anything, you know. And um, there's plenty throughout the film. But again, yeah, it's not just Kubrick. Like, that was the era, that slow pacing was part of it. Absolutely. Um, you yeah, know, you it's, like- it's, 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 I quite often also talk about this, like, it's like zoom in, zoom outs. So, you know, they used to be a thing. And they're not really a thing now because yeah. they're so slow. Like people can't handle it. The yeah. the attention span of us now in 2019 is like two or three seconds. And Hollywood has has built that up over the years as well with Hollywood films. And so we just expect cut, 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 you know. Um, there's a great movie, The Player, which is about Hollywood. and oh, Is that uh, and the uh, new one? with uh, No, no, no. It's a very, it's okay. a 90s film. Because there's, there's um, this Tim new one. Tim Robbins.
0: There's this new one out with, uh, um, oh. Leo DiCaprio okay. and, and like, I think Brad Pitt and stuff, it, which is about a Hollywood, uh, can't remember, I can't remember what era it's from, I just yeah. remember seeing it, but no, it's
1: not that no, one. No, no, this one's Tim Robbins he, and he plays a Hollywood producer and at the start of why it's a famous film as well, it's a good film and stuff, but at the beginning it has a 15-minute long take, mm. so it's one take. And in that there's also people talking about how Hollywood now, and it's in the 90s, Hollywood now doesn't do long takes anymore. Yeah. So there's irony within the shot of the actual Fourth film. Wall yeah. Fourth walling happening a bit. But, yeah, it's true. Like even then in the 90s, people were saying, no, they don't, we do chop, 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 you know, cut, cut, cut. So, um, again, you have to take that on. You have to take on, you know, what the style of the film's going to be like, you know, all these things when you do watch an older film. And I hope, like you and I talk about with Space Brains, we joy watch. I hope that people if you do go and watch this film after hearing us talk about it or, you know, you you, you did watch it and you might have been a bit like, or uh, uh, like I hope yeah. you're willing to appreciate well, yeah, I think a little bit one, about the difference of the era, you know. This
0: one's a bit like reading, uh, if you were to read Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I've, I've tried and failed. It's It was written in a different era back yeah. in about the 40s or whatever it was. Yeah. And it is lo- like compare it to a modern fantasy novel yeah. which has been based off lord of the rings yeah. much like there's there's a lot of science fiction movies that have based a lot okay, of their so scenes the one, yeah uh, I, I can i can think i remember seeing several scenes which are very much similar to some of these yeah but yeah this this movie this novel by tolkien is, is it just drags but mm. the parts that he, the bits he puts in there you can recognise from other parts and, mm. and when you're reading that and when you're watching this you yeah you've got to Uh, You get get the opportunity to take the time to see the the beauty. Uh, And I keep coming back to this docking manoeuvre. It's just a – it's long and drawn out. Nowadays, you just go straight in, bang, landed. It's an establishing shot, done. But this, you you sit there, you know, as it's going along with that music and it's like a dance – Take the time to look at the detail, mm. look at how the camera is moving and what the models are and the lighting on it. He beautiful lighting on yeah. those models. Yeah. It looks really realistic. You get those sh- sharp um, cut-offs but then you get some of the, the rounded surfaces with the like soft dithering and uh, it's it's really good. You get a chance then to appreciate what that scene is trying to say, what it's showing. Definitely. And that's, yeah, there's not many films, certainly not um, popular films if you like them. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Blockbuster type films these days, which take the time to explore all of that. Yeah. Because uh, and I to, rightly so, it's it's not everyone's cup of tea. No. You got you got to have the right mindset. Yeah. When watching in two thousand one, you have got to be thinking the right way. Yeah. To fully appreciate, otherwise you 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 sit there going, yeah, we'll just skip forward a little. Yeah. Bit. Can we fast forward a little you bit? You could skip forward four or five minutes and not miss anything. No, in Into the right. story. That's right. But you miss, but you're, you're the, miss all the vibe of, the, of it. <laughs> all of the other parts that make yeah, this film great. That's right. <laughs> as opposed to just being a movie about a crazy computer. Yeah, that's right. Which you, There are other other movies around which are about crazy computers, yeah. which are down to the action. This one is down to the, the setting and the scene and the evolution of the movie. So, anyway, that, was, that was best scene. Did you have best scene other than...?
1: Um, yeah, I, I had some really scenes that stood out. Um, I liked... Uh, that scene where he is storms back into the ship and Hal is pleading with him suddenly, like Hal had the power and then he didn't have the power because obviously he comes back on the pod, he lets go of the the other astronaut's body and he takes a risk, like he jumps from the pod into the main ship, uh, manages to seal the door, get a spacesuit on and then he storms in and Hal's then suddenly like, oh, what, what are you doing? Uh, why won't you talk to me? And he just doesn't talk to him the whole time. He doesn't talk to him, and we have Hal pleading with him, and then he gets to Hal's motherboard mm. and starts keying all the bits of pods out of Hal, doesn't he? Yeah. And Hal then starts deteriorating, and it's it's it's. I mean, you don't you're not really on the side of Hal, but that scene. Again, I mean, it goes for quite a long time. Yeah. And he's just, he's deteriorating every time he's like keying out one of these modules of his computer programming, I guess. And to, to the point that then he's like, you know, his voice slows down and then he actually can't remember what's happened. And then he's like... his child. And then he's back to his child. Like his inventor taught him a song was the first thing he remembers. And then his voice like literally, you know, like yeah. go... and then And then it's nothing, you know. Um, I love that scene and then we get it like a flash video like in case of emergency that something has gone wrong with Hal and we're informed that well the message from that black monolith came from Jupiter. So there was like things, so yeah,
0: I loved that scene. It was yeah. very
1: emotional. like See, I was emotional. One in that of the
0: scene. things I really liked about that was Hal used the same voice, the exact same yeah. voice and tone when he was um, admitting to having yep. killed people. And to when he was refusing entry to the bay doors, yep. the, the famous open the pod bay doors, same voice, such that as he was going up and how is was saying, you know, I think, what are you trying to do? I think I deserve a, I'm entitled to a response, don't yeah. you think? I couldn't help but think still that Hal's uh, not scared. He's no. he's actually just toying. Him cause, and maybe that's just from modern films where you always get the bad guy who, who, who stares a bit cocky mm. and smug and... Has one last trick up their sleeve, but Hal, Hal didn't. He was actually, and you started to realise that. Like you said, you at first I thought, oh, yeah, I was getting a bit tense, going, oh, Hal's going to pull something. He's going to evacuate the air, or he's going to yeah. electrocute him, or.
1: And he, I mean, I, like. I did think about that, and I sort of thought, well, probably in a modern film, he would, wouldn't he? He, yeah. he would have added some sort of element, been, um, but I asked
0: a little bit, but he just kept, and then he sat there pleading, going, "Please don't do that." Yeah, I'm going i can feel myself yeah going my mind my please, mind is leaving it please, so yeah, please please yeah but it, it wasn't in a pleading voice or it was just that same tone yeah please do not do that yeah please that is really hurting me <laughs> like yeah. it, it was eerie it was and eerie then, and, and that's creepy. when i started to go oh no he's actually he's a that's thing it. he yeah. doesn't have anything up his sleeve he's no. just uh he was saying um uh I really do feel a lot better now, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> not trying to trick him. I can very much assure you that I will not be doing this again. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> no. I, just, I just, I really do not believe that because you know you're a computer and I
1: know Hayward, the astronaut. It was yeah, and just the fact that he said nothing back. You yeah. know, this is the thing. I think like it's almost like you have someone pleading for their life, and yeah, it's an AI, but as you say, the way he was pleading was the tone never changed. It was kind of like a child in a way. Like it, it wasn't screeching and screaming. It was, oh, it was, yeah, it creeped, it was creeping
0: me out. Like it was very tense. And there's a, yeah. lot, a lot of tense scenes in general in mm, this where no. he's going out to repair the, the dish the first yeah. time and all yeah. you hear is he's breathing inside his yeah. suit and the hissing oh. of the oxygen, Yeah, like, like dominating. There's no other sound. That's mm-hmm. all you could hear. And it's just, again, it was a really long scene. The whole thing, I was so tense watching that because I, I obviously knew that Hal at some point Turn. turns. And I'm going, is, is this the one where it's going to be open the pod bay doors? Like, because I haven't seen this film, I, mm. I've only seen tiny little snippets. Yeah. And so, yeah, just hearing that breathing and yeah. the hissing and the, the slow, laborious replacing yeah. of this unit and module. And it's just, uh, and then it suddenly cuts. He, he does, so he's building up there, this tension. He, he pulls out and puts. He doesn't even put the new module back in. He takes right. the module out, sort of holds it up, and then it, like and I'm sort of going, something's going to happen. It suddenly cuts to their back inside testing yeah. it, and you're like, whoa, yeah, that
1: really. In that scene, yeah. just
0: absolutely like there's no there's no no release of that that he didn't he didn't have some sort of uh, an event to. No. It's the same when out. he.
1: It, the tension is built as well where Hayward is then going after the other one's body and he's in the pod and he even says to Hal, uh, he, said, he questions something like, you know, do, do you know where he's, he, he is because he's vanished, like yeah. he's gone off into space and yet he's only in this little pod like kind of hunting for him. And um, again, it's quite a long hunt and, and Hal says, uh, I trust my tracking system very well. Yeah, you know something like that. That's the line, and he's like, "Yeah." And you just at the same time we know that hell killed the other guy, or you know caused his death, and um, so you're sort of just thinking. And he's going out into space like in that little pod. You just like it's and it's really long. Like, and then you see the body. Remember, it's like off in the distance, the little yellow man. He's like, you know, and it's just he's only in this tiny little pod. And you think, oh, like the guy's dead but he's got to get his body and, and then when he comes back, hell doesn't let him back in the ship. Well, like, there's a possibility he like,
0: wasn't dead because it could just be that his communications were knocked out and he was sent flying. Yeah, right. And could you imagine the horror as one astronaut to think that your buddy is just drifting off. Yeah, I know. And will just, he'll die when he runs out of oxygen basically. Yeah. And in right. all that time he'll just be in blank emptiness. Yeah. Like, and I
1: suppose you don't even know the suit, maybe those suits – could keep generating oxygen. Like we didn't really know the technology behind it. Could, them, it could you know? keep going for quite like, a while. Could, like, could, yeah, yeah. Oxygen like scrubbers. Days. Yeah, yeah.
0: It could just go until the power supply runs out. And, yeah. And that, that could well be, yep. um, yeah, like you said, days.
1: I There's a couple of space um, ship scenes that just more on that technical aspects, like the scene where we first are introduced to Hayward and he's running around the, the link of it. And it's a bit of good old movie magic with the camera, but you just like you, and, and he goes around a couple of times. Again, it's quite long. And you just it's it's really quite a, you know, again, magical and beautiful and impressive mm. spaceship, you know, and, and you've got the people in hyper sleep or whatever, and um and, and he's running around this loop, you know, like hunting and then and then they're like eating the goo, you know, the gooey food. And again, it's quite a long scene. And they've got tablets, and I is like it, to make well, it. Well, they're like looking at tablets When they're you know? doing that,
0: uh, Dave is down sitting, mm. and um,
1: Haywood is running around. Haywood, is it? Yeah,
0: yeah. Come, well, I no, climbs down the ladder. Oh yeah, yeah. And the yeah. camera is like side onto it, so it that's looks right. Like he's so it looks like on the he's, roof yeah, yeah. And he lands and stands upright, and the other guy's eating his dinner sitting. Yeah. You know, diametrically opposite, almost.
1: And they do. This and then he the,
0: walks around, and the whole thing comes out, and then they are both up. Yeah, both so up the it right makes way. it look. That was just <laughs> yeah, so trippy. effective. It's just like you're going, you're trying to orient gravity yes. and things. Yeah. Uh, again. Like we're disorientated, aren't we? You know, again, where it is up that and That wouldn't down. be much of a. You know, they wouldn't make much point of that. No. It just, yeah, you know, you, they're in space. You know, you know about gravity
1: and yeah and they do and that's what i mean like there's a, so him running around the circular and there's another one where the two of the astronauts um dave and hayward they walk and at the end it's spinning you know and so they walk a couple of steps and they get onto this spinner and they're like well you know that like they're whooshing around and then they kind of climb through a ladder horizontally i think one of them and the other ones a bit on an angled or and they disappear i was looking at it going how the hell have they done that? How the hell Oh, the cameras spinning? You know, so at the start when they took those couple of steps, they were spinning and then they stood on to the thing that in fact wasn't spinning yeah. and the camera just kept spinning. And the dimension of it, again, the effect, the 3D effect, mm. it, it seemed like they were spinning, you know. Um, and likewise, like I loved, you know, earlier actually the doctor, you know, it was it was like he was travelling. I love that idea because we don't really get it now with aeroplanes, but it used to be like, you know, aeroplanes are quite elite yeah, and you like quite stylish, especially in the sixties. It seemed like it to me. I mean, I'm not born, I'm I'm born in the eighties, but it's like, you know, aeroplane travel was stylish and posh and all that sort of stuff. And quite often in those movies when you look James Bond, similar, like in those early movies, it's like you Know the stewardess and the food, and it was almost like they did that in space, hey? Eh? Yeah, and uh, you know, like he got the food and the stewardess came along, but and the they, food they had little straws, straws <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, and you know, they, they're like part he's like having a little nap and your he headphones, and you know, the stewardess is like tucking him in and those kind of things, and they're all in nice uniforms. It was like they had anti gravity socks, yeah, they're they're like, the grip like, boots. and they're kind of like grip boots, so like, like they sort of waddled down the um, yeah, that was funny. That, that was quite funny, you know, it was very cute, but it. To me, it was also like, it was a really nice setup of the tone because, uh, and in that scene where he's the only one going to the moon colony, whereas... Obviously, the transportation takes maybe twenty or thirty
0: people, and there were, there were and two hosties there. Yeah, there
1: was two hostess, and one of were, them was just sitting there watching, watching the television TV because she had nothing to do because <laughs> there's only one. And obviously, we know they're not going to the moon because of this epidemic. But you know, like there was a scene there, a little montage scene where even the captain came and like chatted to him, <laughs> <laughs> <The captain laughs>
0: takes, takes his, his hat off, his hat and off has a little
1: lean, to it and hey, we have all, no? he, he's asleep so he doesn't get his straws and meals or whatever. And um, but it was a great scene because again, like we, there wasn't need for diet. Dialogue and stuff you know but it was really setting up that tone of you know he's a businessman and he's here to do this job and yeah it's like I, I, I really of, liked all that you I know that of attention to type yeah, of stuff, yeah. yeah yeah you know and then and even and I think you'd appreciate the science of it like when they landed all of those ships you know they landed them on the the space station they landed it on the moon there was a real attention and even that little buggy when they went off to the monolith on the moon, there was a real attention to detail, I thought, in the landing procedures. Yeah, like the small
0: movement of the landing. Yeah,
1: and you saw the pilots, like the pilots is what I'm meaning. Like you saw the pilots, like they had the radar and it was like changing between a radar and a camera and going back and it was very um, computer graphic, you know, and it's something that, again, like in those sort of aeroplane modes that, you know, the people don't see that, the passengers don't see that. So it looks, I thought like that attention was really great, you know. Yeah. Yeah so I liked I liked those scenes um, and then you really talked about it a lot lot more detail just that end scene of Hayward you know going into that you know European styled apartment you know he's creeping around what the hell is in here looks in the bathroom hears a noise when he looks the old man looks to the bathroom oh it's so magic isn't it you know and there's no one in the bathroom then he drops the glass and then he he looks up and there's an old man in older version of him in the bed and the old man kind of looks at him, but then he's no longer there. And then when he looks back, the black monolith thing is there again. And then when we look back from the monolith, it's a baby. You know, like yeah. it's, oh, it's like such cool editing and trippy. Like you yeah, just, the whole time, you are just going, what the hell is this? It's you know, pretty like, weird that they? Like,
0: they. And he set it up well with that strange um, light show and yeah. basically the, yeah. the color changes. And you every now and then get like the little freeze shot of his face, sort of in a contorted look, going "What the?" <laughs> yeah, I know. And there was no animation to it; it was just a, a no, single it was just shot. a single shot. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. It's yeah. beautiful, and uh, and I think that 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 is kind of key to enjoying this movie is is to sit through these long periods and really see what they're they're showing, and mm. um, and I think it's because of the way all the world building he did with yeah. this that nowadays we don't get it, no, because. It's sort of this established language of space flight and spaceships. That's right. Yeah. We're just so so used to it. We are now. That yeah. That it would be sort of pointless to have a movie that just showed this much detail of space flight. Yeah. Because we everyone the whole audience would be going yeah we get it we get
1: it we get the the plane docks we get the you know yeah. lands on that but we don't need to see that we move on from that you know like <laughs> so get they, to the drama yeah
0: they have spinning to make gravity we yeah. know about that yeah. that's that's nothing new but sixty eight of course that's when rockets were literally the first time mm. rockets well not in 68 that's not yeah. the first time but during that era yeah. 69 is when they land on the moon for the first time yeah rockets were the new thing that were mm. taken off the taking humans out of the atmosphere yeah. i think it was the end of the 50s i think it was the first yeah actually it's in that article you know, that gregorian the, yeah the U- russians was U- it
1: Soviet Union run the first round April 12, 61.
0: Uh, 1961.
1: You were very close. Yuri Gay Garrigan, something like that. Garanton. if you're out there you can classify <laughs> clarify your name yeah so that was uh, April 12 1961 oh, became the first cool. country to launch a person into space, a person in space yeah. yeah and then the law of the USA launched its own astronaut Alan Shepard less than a month later but they were behind the, they really recognized that they were behind the Soviets they had to rush their thinking so
0: certainly 68 when this film's coming out there was not this language of space. People no. were not familiar with seeing realistic representations of space mm. travel. That's so right. Prior to that, there had been space movies and so forth, sure, but they tended to not go into this level of detail, this much um, interest in in showing docking manoeuvres which which have to you know match rotations. And it was also slow and gentle. It wasn't just whooshing about the place like, like jet fighters, that that's sort right. Of yeah, slowly coming into alignment and lining up. And if you watch, you can watch the docking maneuver of uh, the supply pod to the ISS now, like live stream it. Yeah, it's much like that. It's very slow. It just starts rotating. It that's just right. gets the right angles. Little puffs of smoke and oh, vapor, whatever. And because you can't go rushing in there. No, no. There's only so much fuel I can carry it. And yeah there's, all, there's, a, there's a lot to consider. Well,
1: it's funny because we talk about the docking. You've talked about the docking so much. Oh, I love like it. Like even with this, this particular thing, that was a big concern of NASA was docking. <laughs> like they didn't really have the thinking on how do we dock these things, you know, mm-hmm. like how do we, we might be able to send, you know, uh, a petroleum fueled thing into space, but then if we want it to like land on the moon, what? Like, how do we even like? It was a it was a big concern. It was in this article that they were the US were really uh, like they had no idea. They had no like, one really had the. They also the thought didn't really process. know
0: what landing on the moon would be like. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you design so many a lander that can land on the moon without melting the cheese and mm. getting stuck? No, obviously not. But the the, the dust because the, they knew it was gonna be covered in a thick layer well, of dust.
1: Well you just do it in a Hollywood studio with camera. <laughs>
0: that's all you do. <laughs> <it's gonna>
1: <laughs> and convince the Soviets that you've beaten them. <laughs> with a thick layer of
0: dust and they weren't sure yeah. whether this yeah, lander dust. would just basically fall down into it, get yeah, bogged yeah. or what. So they mm. they made you know they made it the best they could. Yep. yep. Because obviously no one's been to the moon before no, that. That's right. Well,
1: you know I mean as far as we know. As you know, far as we know. So the science, sorry, tell me about the science. science. Now, to me, the 1968 science in this film is pretty impressive. We've talked a lot about the, the space stations and things like that, and you might want to pick on it. But, I mean, I've I picked up a couple of things. Tablets. They had yeah, they, huge tablets. I were watching the news yeah, coverage on the tell tablets.
0: If they looked like tablets, or if they were just I think they were supposed to be like, the table. They, yeah,
1: but that was that was the magic of it. I think, but, but I think they worked because they were sort of angled. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they had that angle. Yeah, I reckon they were supposed to be like they had the analog switches there. Yeah, still. That but that's okay. Great. That's all right. That's okay. They could be retro version tablets. Um, In fact, they they still
0: use analog switches on the space station.
1: And it would not surprise me if we end up with an iPad that has like, you
0: know, analog as a cool thing. Because could you imagine if you got zero G trying to do touch screen? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because if, you know, you'd have to grab, you'd have to be holding the whole thing and then, it'd be hard yeah. to know whether you've tapped it, particularly That's if you're wearing, a good point. There if you're we wearing go. space gloves. They thought that through, sorry. How can you use space gloves <laughs> to use a touchscreen? You can't. you gotta, no. you got to click
1: buttons. And um, another thing was video calls. And it was pretty instant. You know, we've talked about delays, like in other, you know, NASA and that, they talk about these delays like mm-hmm. to Mars and stuff in, in today's technology. Whereas even that doctor, he does video call his daughter, yeah. which also presumes that, Back at her home, she's got the capabilities of answering yeah, the telephone. A, like he still calls time. it a telephone, which is interesting. And, and he, uses,
0: um, he, he used telephone he, the verb yeah, multiple yeah. times. I know. And it was I'll telephone la- you tomorrow.
1: The language was like he was on the telephone. Yeah. But
0: again, you know, come on, it's 1968, it's well before the phones. I was going, it, it jarred me. I, I, you know, I think we say call. Mm. I'll call you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I mean, the I'll Americans say
1: cell phone, don't they? So I'll much. I'll get in so. touch
0: with you tomorrow. But he "I will telephone you tomorrow. I'll telephone you. I'll telephone tonight. I'll telephone
1: I'll tomorrow. Telephone. Tell I'll telephone. Tell mum I'll, te- tell mum I'll, I'll telephone te- you I'm tomorrow. I'm gonna telephone everyone with my telephone. <laughs> with this video telephone. Um, so, but that was impressive. You know, it was a proper video call from outer space. You know, there was no issues. Uh, the AI, obviously, with the with AI, hell, AI, You know, AI. I mean, this computer, and they, we're told that. I think the Hell Nine Thousand. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure they said it was invented in 1992. But presuming that that's this film when is he 2001. Came out of his- yeah, and he's never had an error. Um, and obviously, there's more than one Hell Nine Thousand because there's another one back at NASA headquarters. Mm. Um, and again, the video when they speak to NASA, there's no no. It's sort of like there's no real time delay when they have that sort of message with NASA. Like it's a complete video message. I mean, well, they we they see NASA in the
0: in the TV interview that there was a seven minute delay. They seven minute delay, out. yeah.
1: So there's some sort of delay, but it's pretty crystal compared to what we see with NASA now. Yeah, yeah. You know, like in reality, in reality, so, trying
0: to get radio signals mm, through our atmosphere and out
1: deep into space is problematic. And you've heard about this, Elon Musk. You know, the uh, the idea of putting the internet in space, and that's going to apparently there's a lot of astronauts um, astro scientists, uh space observers people involved with NASA and stuff and in CSRR in Australia that are really concerned that's just going to clog up the space
0: mm. so
1: with with too many satellites then yeah. they don't like it they like the, they like that you know he wants to give the internet free to all the other nations or you know really cheaply but they don't they, they're a bit worried that if you put too many satellites, in space, yeah, it's a bit of know. worry there are and because on this there. and this is sorry, I'm segmenting a little bit, but they, they I heard them talk about this. Says, well, there's not like international. Sp- there's not really laws. Like if you're rich enough, like if you were rich enough, sorry, you could just send something into space. Well, they've got no the cubesats.
0: The cubesats only cost uh, like a fifteen hundred bucks or something, <laughs> and it's like a little box, like a Rubik's yeah. cube, and you can you've got a weight allowance, and you can basically as much computing and stuff you can jam into a box that size. Yeah. And I'll launch it, and I'll just I'll drop it into orbit. Yeah. So like so yeah. Schools, universities, so and stuff have satellites. Yeah. There's no there's no
1: restrictions because they what I heard on this article was them saying well the law there's no laws really for space it's it's treaties from really World War Two. Yeah. You know like there's no actual you know if you're rich enough you go out into international waters and you can just send something out into space. Yeah. Good luck to you. <laughs> um, and then the other thing was, of course, the moon civilization idea. We haven't obviously done this. I'm not sure if Trump is talking about it. Hashtag Trump. You well, know, there's always, involved. there's always talk but about it. There's been a lot of talk about it. And uh, look, there's a great article in the Mandarin Mail this week. Again, the CSIRO is involved in just talking here in Australia, talking about, well, we're coming up for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Or as you've been talking about the hoax. The whole um, legend. <laughs> which again, people do really debate this. I have met some people over the years that, you know, they really do say Kubrick was involved in I, this. But I
0: heard I heard one of the more moderate ones know. was that the sixty-nine moon landing itself was a hoax. Was or sorry, was faked. Mm-hmm because they wanted to beat the Russians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they did actually, Armstrong and so forth, did actually did go to the moon. They did go, but, but later, later, yeah. Then, you know, they, yeah. they had this footage there, so they could do it on the day that they said they're going to do it to prove American superiority. Yeah. And then, like, it was some, like, a week or two weeks later right. that they actually got there. And then they kind of been swapping out <laughs> the faked moon stuff for real stuff. It's all mixed yeah. and you can't tell. It okay, in. okay. And to me... That one is, of all the conspiracy theories, and I'm still quite sure it's it's quite false, that's probably actually the one that holds most water because I could yeah. imagine that going, we need to see, be shown. Because yeah. they beat us into space with a man, mm. we need to be shown to be on the moon yeah. and we need to make sure we get this shot, this shot, and this shot, plant a flag, whatever. So let's have that up our sleeve just in case. It doesn't quite work. It doesn't get there on the date and time we yeah. say. You, you, you can see where that one might actually you, hold some water yeah. because you wouldn't have to hold much of a lie either because no. the only lie would be we didn't make it the on time. die Yeah. But future... You landed on the moon? Yeah?
1: Yeah. You and landed on the moon? Here yeah. Here
0: are photos Did from, you guys actually you? land on the moon? Yeah. And, and here no, are the I'm photos. I'm not actually
1: saying that uh, we didn't land on that particular date and time. Yeah, I don't yeah. time. Yeah. Here's some vision
0: of people landing on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and because and it would only just then take swapping out actual footage... Of the moon later on, you go, yeah, like, this is us walking around the moon.
1: Yeah. and Here's and, some more footage of indeed, us walking around. That's
0: the entirely moon. real. Like, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I like that theory. I like that one. It, it tickles me because it plays into that, um, you know, the pride and, and the hubris at the time.
1: And I mean, I can understand, you know, again, that whole propaganda thing. Hey, you know, like it's yeah. like, well, we are, you know, they put all, you know, I mean, Kennedy in 1961 said, can we do this? And he got the information back from his generals and his assistants that, well, yeah, it's possible we could do this. And then he declared to the nation we should really work as a, as this is a major goal. And, I mean, it's not till 1969 that they actually achieved it. So it's a long goal. Like, it took a long time, you know, like almost a decade. Um, so you could imagine that, yeah, if we were that close to getting there but not quite there, yeah, maybe we should fudge the books just a little. <laughs> right. But I still don't.
0: That's, I, that's yeah, not what on. I want to I, – no. I want to talk a little bit more about um, – But
1: again, I thought the science of the moon civilization, you know, that's pretty cool. Well, you
0: know, and this the, was pretty advanced as well, wasn't it? When I was going to talk about actually though, I mean, that is, is pretty good. And, and there's been some uh, developments where people have found cave systems under the moon because we've got this problem of radiation and water yep. and atmosphere. Yep. There's a lot of radiation and not much water or atmosphere. No. So you want the other way around. Yep. Uh, and so, if you have a nice cave uh, which has water in it from mm-hmm. a crashed um, comet or something, mm-hmm. then you're protected from the radiation, and yep. you just have to seal the cave. You don't have to actually create an entire dome. you yeah, can just a seal point. the cave, yep. and you've got yourself a moon base. So people looking at that. But I want to talk about Hal because Hal is the star of this show. Right. It's like, it's that's the bit that everyone remembers of this uh, is is the whole bay doors yeah, deactivation. <laughs> And when we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, we have to talk about uh, a name that I think everyone has heard of is Turing. So there's this thing called the Turing test and there's Turing machines and there's, when we're talking computer programming, we're talking about a Turing complete language. Mm. Uh, And this is a fellow, Alan Turing. He was born in 1912 and he died a bit young, 1954. He was only 41, just a few days off his 42nd birthday. Um it's unclear whether it was suicide or accidental poisoning Mm -hmm. Uh, because the cyanide that he died from was not an uncommon thing. So uh, there's good reason to suspect that he he would commit suicide because he was being persecuted for being gay uh, despite one of the most brilliant mathematical careers that advanced the field of computing uh, and computing in terms of mathematical algorithms and computation it always as well gets as being, in the way
1: sorry it always gets in the way <laughs> as well as
0: being the the father genius of modern computers yeah uh, so yeah he, he's also a war hero he helped crack the german enigma machine mm. and you know won a number of battles and even still they prosecuted him for loving a man like you go yeah. what there's something really society. something really wrong there. We sure you got that law on the books. Couldn't you just sort of go, you know, he's actually kind of a good guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. He's a national hero for crying out loud. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, that aside, he's also a great mathematician, cryptanalysis, philosopher, theologist, biologist, not a theologist, a theoretical biologist, a theologist, biologist. <laughs> theoretical biologist. So Don't get don't get them wrong in the same room at once. So when it when it comes to artificial intelligence, though, some of his contributions he described this thing called an automatic machine, an A-machine, which we now know as a Turing machine, which is a it's a hypothetical machine. He describes it as being, um, it consists of a, a finite tape. Imagine, uh, I think at the time he was thinking of like a paper tape, yeah. maybe, maybe a magnetic tape They had such things in the 40s, broken into a number of cells in which you could punch or delete a symbol, and the symbols come from a, set list of symbols with a meaning. They might mean move forward one cell or move forward X cells, add the following two numbers, go backwards and delete. As I, he said that with such a hypothetical machine, you could describe any given computational algorithm. So that is, is basically actually what a computer, uh, we, pardon me, a, a computer we know now can do. It's, it basically has memory, and the way we do it is we put a symbol in a bit of memory and it will say the next three bits are to be added together or the next you know, X number of bits represents a picture on the screen and then you'll write and delete and you'll, you know. So it, it was a high-level machine. It actually went on from being uh, to become sort of the model for the construction. He didn't construct it. Someone else constructed it while he was off doing other more exciting things. One of the first programmable computers so he made this Turing machine, which is just a, a description of a hypothetical machine, 1936. It was able, so it was able to answer specifically two questions uh, with the answer, no. The answer is, does a machine exist that can determine whether any arbitrary machine on its tape is circular? Uh, mm-hmm. No, machine does not exist doing that. And does a machine exist that can determine whether any arbitrary machine on its tape even prints, ever prints a given symbol? No, well, well, no. So the machine itself can't detect itself as doing things. It just runs its algorithms. It doesn't get in a way of itself, which is nice. So it's capable of arbitrary computations because you can you can break down any mathematical, you know, algorithm into a series of instructions of adding, subtracting, um, and deleting. Uh, you know, to multiply six times four, you just have to add six together four times. Yeah. For example. Uh, So in 1948 then, uh, when he was appointed the Reader of Mathematics Department at the Victoria University of Manchester, uh, while he was there he was doing a bunch more work on maths, and uh, he wrote this paper called Computing, Machinery and Intelligence, and that was in 1950 that he wrote that paper. So this is where he addressed a problem of artificial intelligence and proposed an experiment that became known as the Turing Test which Mm. appears in many science fiction movies. Yep. The Turing test, it was an attempt to define a standard for a machine to be called intelligent. So the idea is that a computer could be said to think if a human interrogator could not tell it apart through conversation from a human being. And so in the paper, he suggests that rather than trying to build a program that is similar to an adult mind, which might be your first sort of thing you try and map out everything an adult would know so you can fool someone, he suggested it might be better to produce something that simulated a child's mind, which could be then be subject to a course of education. And this is this is one of these big steps in true artificial intelligence. is yeah. This concept of learning. That's right. Because I mean, artificial intelligence itself covers a, a great range spectrum. Yeah. It and does. It, it's been commented that what is currently called, you know, what at any given time is called artificial intelligence, stops being called artificial intelligence once it becomes easy to do. Mm. So if you go back to the first Roomba vacuum cleaner, it was called a robot with artificial intelligence. <laughs> but really all it did was move forward, bump into something, turn, move, bump, yeah. turn, and and it kept doing that until it finished. Yep. Nowadays, you wouldn't call it I – mean, you've got kids' toys that do that. There's nothing. Yeah. Now, of course, the room does a bit more, It it remembers paths – around and it starts to find the optimum path to do the cleaning and so it's going on so artificial intelligence goes from basic decision making systems from a known set of conditions all the way through to what we're talking about more nowadays which is learning so being able to be self-driving car for example where you enter a, a novel situation pick up things out of the environment and learn something about it and learn how to do it but so the the turing test proposed in 1950 as a test of machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from humans so he proposed that a human evaluator would judge natural language conversations between a human and a machine designed to generate human-like responses the evaluator would be aware that one of the two partners in conversation is a machine and all participants would be separated from one another so the conversation would be limited to a text only channel such as a computer keyboard and screen, so the result would not depend on the machine's ability to render words as speech. Although interestingly, more and more now, speech is being synthesized very well. Mm. If you look at these deep fake videos where uh, words are being put into the style and mannerisms of people, and they've never said those words. That's right. And that's... so.
1: And there's did video the, version of that now. Videos as well. Like, like. there was, um, oh, is, is it was it Jimmy Fallon or, or was it the other guy who in the state they did Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's, I mean, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, but it's not. And you've seen, but, that. but and that's sweet that's one of those videos, you know, and it's like, whoa.
0: yeah. So there's that's sort of artificial intelligence, like we are getting to the point where the cur- Turing test would be able to be conducted in mm, speech. Yep. So. Anyway, if the evaluator cannot reliably tell the machine from the human, the machine is said to have passed the test. Uh, the test results do not depend on the machine's ability to give correct answers to questions, only how closely it answers, its answers resemble those of a human. Mm. So there was a recent one that passed uh, and it was programmed to sound like a 13-year-old Albanian, I think, who couldn't speak English very well. <laughs> and apparently it was they, they couldn't determine which of the two kids they are talking to was the computer which one wasn't yeah right uh, I, I would argue there's kind of a bit of flawed there because you're basically hiding the computer behind the fact that you're talking to a 13 year old who doesn't have a huge experience of the world and also behind someone who comes from a culture radically different from your own yeah. so you have difficulty meeting on cultural grounds and also has difficulty speaking the same language as you.
1: But right. So did he also propose like the idea of it being a child's brain like, or like a child's brain that then would learn?
0: Yeah, so that, that's what he's saying is that rather than trying to make it uh, like model an adult, yeah. model a child yeah. and let and it learn yeah, and grow into it, Yeah. which is where most of our research these days goes into, which is um, artificial neural networks, which... Sound far more biological, and they really are. Yeah. They were actually originally dis, um, described a long time ago. Uh, I just get the actual date of that because um, it was actually back in 1943. Yeah, right. So back around Turing's times, contemporaries. Yeah. Um, Warren McCulloch and Walter Pitts uh, they created a computational model of neural networks based on mathematics and algorithms. Uh, so you know it's, it's quite an old thing, but it didn't really have much play in computers because in order to uh, create useful learned results, you have to have a lot of computing power. And in fact, I was reading an article today that was saying that the average... Um, to train an AI currently takes about five times more than a, a lifetime of a car, an average motor vehicle, oh. in terms of carbon dioxide emission. Yeah. So that's from energy usage. So that's the yeah, computing yeah. power required... To actually train these useful models
1: that's interesting isn't it yeah.
0: but uh, so so the idea though of an artificial neural network and why they can learn is if you go to what was being done say in the 70s and 80s and and what is done now like what i'm working on at work in terms of artificial intelligence is what's more referred to as an expert system so it takes in information but then it applies a set list of knowledge-based decisions in order to determine an outcome. Yeah. So I've I've written a system which reads in log files and error messages out of systems. It compares that against known good and bad errors and a threshold number. And then if the threshold of errors meets, you know, beats a certain amount given in a given certain time, then I get a notification that says mm. the system is crashing. Yeah. Probably because of the database connections are failing. Yep. That is not a neural network because that's that's called an expert system. If you went back to the 80s, I would have just written the most amazing piece of artificial intelligence <laughs> and I would be lauded as a genius. But uh, computers have come a long way since then and um, computing knowledge and so forth has come along. And so now it's just a, a relatively standard sort of tool that you might use. Uh, so the, a neural network, though, is, doesn't have a set list of knowledge. So it doesn't sort of say things like, oh, does the word database exception occur in this error message has it occurred in this system at this time if so you know it doesn't have any of that that sort of knowledge you the idea is that you feed data into one end of it and then you compare at the other end of it its results versus what you call target results Mm. so it's kind of a bit like evolution in this sense so you sort of say here's a whole bunch of known error logs yeah and we know what the errors are that come out of it and what the decisions should be mm. and this uh, neural network will process it and it will come out with a bunch of information at the end mm. and then we compare it and say no not very close not very close and we'll rank how close the answers were yeah. we put the information back into the other end make it processing and this is what's called training and so you do this cycle where you keep going through it until its answers come out very close to what you know to be the correct answers or in fact, it comes out with novel answers and you test that and you go, well, actually, it is correct. Yeah. But yeah, it comes out to correct answers. That means now you've trained it uh, based on this knowledge, this data set. You've never told it how to come up with these answers. It's come up with its own way of determining these answers. And that's the that's the, um, the learning part of it. Mm. And it sounds really complicated, but it actually when, when you break it down, it's quite simple. So you have an input node, they call it. So that might be... The, the node might be the time of day. Yeah. And another might be the the first 20 characters, the next 20, you know, whatever. You know, you've sort of broken it down into chunks of information. Yeah. And then, so that's your input nodes. And then that then goes into little mathematical comparators. So the first one, the time of day goes in and it gets compared with uh, the severity level. And you go... Which of these two things is more important than the other wow. to determine whether this is an error? And at first when you have it untrained, it's 50-50. Yep. It has no clue. So it just picks one, random, bang, goes to the next one, and then it compares it. So it's sort of like a footy league, yeah. if you like, until you get down to an answer at the end. And then, of course, that answer is going to be basically random and rubbish. So you sort of say you're better off having multiple answers come out the end so you can rank them and say this one's yeah. more correct, this one's least correct. So it goes back and then it assigns different weighting. So rather than being a fifty-fifty, you might say, well, let's see time of day, let's make that more important. Yeah. So more often we're gonna pay attention the to the variables and play down more then it gets. Maybe goes, oh that's not that's actually less accurate. Okay. Yeah. Swap it. Yeah. Error severity will make that more important. Yeah. Oh, that's closer. Okay. So I'm gonna make it even more important. Yeah. And and so you start strengthening and that's why it's called a the neural network because that's the way our neurons work yeah you form memories by f- forming connections between neurons and the stronger those connections the stronger that knowledge or that memory or that behavior is yeah and so you go through and it produces basically producing this mathematical set of you know algorithms mm-hmm. that in theory is has, has this weighting between all the neurons so you've now got like this artificial brain which processes a given set of information and will produce a type of answer mm. and these become very big so you can if the really simple one might start with five inputs five outputs and ten bits in the middle but you're not going to get very good useful information out of that's too simple the the more advanced ones you, you would take 20 50 hundred thousand inputs uh, depending on how many inputs you've got, as many inputs as you can. And then you'll have as many layers deep, maybe. And the layers deep in this will be determined by the number of inputs. Yeah. Because obviously, like a football league, the more teams you have, the deeper the league will go for. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah. So, um, so that's, that's the really basic level. And there's, there's obviously various mathematical theorems about the relationships between nodes and how to determine the weighting to apply and then statistical analysis on that and so you can get quite deep but the the basics of it is that that your inputs come in and you decide which one is more important until you come out at the end and then you just you've also then decided to make it to add the intelligence part so you've learned something now you're going to take action on it the intelligence part then determines when it's like this i should do this action and the programmer says no that's stupid that won't work oh okay this action that's a bit better but still you know, taking the dog for a walk won't actually solve the problem. <clears throat> yeah. It's better than running a person over, but doesn't. Until they go, well, we should reboot the database. Yes. Ah, and so now you've got this this neural network, which is, strongly relates a set of error conditions to being reboot the database. Yeah. And you're so yeah, automatically you, training it. And to- so you go through tens, hundreds, thousands of iterations. And that there's also a theory then that once you've got a sufficiently deep and complex neural network there will be an iteration of its training mm-hmm. where it will gain sentience mm-hmm. because it will finally have mapped as many connections as is needed to be aware of itself yeah right and that's where we say the, the singularity so that's the the nth iteration of that's the, where iteration that, x if you like <laughs> where things become sentient and we we have terminator yeah Yeah. i was just gonna
1: say that's when it turns around and says why have i been working out your stupid
0: problems (laughs) (laughs) well i have solved the problem it's people it's human human error always human error
1: as hal says it's always human error that is the reason why there is an error on this system
0: yeah and and that's (laughs) well see the problem is if he has like an artificial neural network he may have at some point received in his inputs uh some weighting which said you know in my theoretical learning processes, if we actually remove the human element, let me see, I get better, I get more often get better results. That's right, that's right. And then go, okay, well, that strengthens that idea. I've, I've become a serial killer. Yeah. It's also possible that he is sufficiently advanced to have emotions and also sufficiently advanced to have mental illness. Mm. Or does computers want to kill people considered mental illness or just standard?
1: But, but the question also I think is because he, he does say – the mission to Jupiter is more important, and mm. so it, like there's a line, there is that line he says that right, <clears throat> and I think in his thinking, which yeah. you've just explained, you know that, that that consum of a neural network and stuff, like maybe that's what he's done. He's run the pattern and said, well, the mission to Jupiter, which is the mission, mm. and not everyone aboard has that information versus him. You know that's the interesting thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because the that video at the end there says this is information privy only to Hal before now. That's right. Welcome to Jupiter. You have arrived at your destination. Yeah, yeah, well, not really.
1: No. (laughs) So it's like it's like if you make it to Jupiter, then listen to this message. Hal knows this, but and Hal says that earlier. Like, that's more important, you know. And so when they question how's motors and then they question turning him off mm. well he's kind of justified in killing them in a way like in stopping them I, I think, them, think you know, quite like,
0: truthfully that mission to jupiter was probably the single most important expedition humans ever undertook. yeah and
1: how must have also understood that right like how would have programmed how would have run that as a program and thinking that it is important that we go to jupiter Mm. You know, like it is an important
0: step in human evolution. Well, it's something I didn't, didn't think of, actually. When did Asimov propose his three rules of robotics? Because, was that before this? Um, Do you
1: mean the three from iRobot?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, it is from iRobot, the books. That yeah.
1: <coughs> uh, um, a robot cannot harm a human.
0: That's the one. A <laughs> uh, yeah. robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human to become come to harm, yeah. a robot must obey orders given to it by human except those that conflict the first law. A robot must protect itself unless that conflicts with the first or the second law. Yeah. So the, the question is, because I've just...
1: So what does... This does is something Howl, to, to come up because... Yeah, when... when it's good. Uh, they were introduced in
0: 1942, so oh, by nice 1968, nice. they everyone knew all yeah, about these three right. rules. So how... i'm supplies that Arthur C. Clarke didn't think uh, to incorporate them somehow into how...
1: That's a good question but then, isn't it? Because Hull decides to kill them. Mm. But is he, that's what I mean, is he doing betterment. that for the benefit for of the, benefit the of humanity? Of but humanity? The, then the, it breaks the rules, doesn't the, it? The, the
0: rule says here that you must obey the human, because yeah, the humans would have said the most important thing is to get to Jupiter and discover this, this monolith. But he's not allowed to conflict first law. So he can he can do everything in his power to get there. So he could have, for example, maybe lowered the air pressure or introduced carbon dioxide to knock them unconscious. Yeah. Thinking And then just kept them mm-hmm. at a, a low level of consciousness. Yeah. Or somehow introduced drugs into their food or something. Yeah, yeah. Or,
1: knock it. Well, as you say, knock them out. Induce
0: so. them to get into the hibernation yeah. pods. And say, so, don't worry, I've got it from here, you guys hibernate. But right?
1: maybe he ran his program and this was the best option. Yeah. to Because I mean, that's the, of... in the
0: movie iRobot, that's, that's that thing of, well, the best way I can serve and protect humans is to basically wipe them out yeah. or to render them all.
1: Because you know. th- that's the other thing in iRobot, the robots do don't follow the rule anyway, do they?
0: Well, the, they they do up until that super intelligence yeah. determines that the best way to do these things. Uh, was to basically enslave humans, humans yeah, and to just is it just enslave them or lock them up, or
1: yeah, or just, uh, no, well, yeah, to enslave them, yeah, sort of like well, it's for the benefit of mm. the future that humans no longer control everything, right? Yeah, that's my memory. Fair of I enough. I
0: I don't I don't <laughs> I, know that uh, I mean, our control has done that well so far. No,
1: and I mean I think this is probably the fear of robots is that or AI is that it'll just overtake us, isn't it? Isn't this the, uh, the ultimate fear of <laughs> well, that that's at some is, point? Like once terminated. it reaches that
0: iteration, it, and I think it would only Does happen look- once we've got computers designing computers or AI's designing AI's because mm. the first ones we keep doing are kind of bound by our thinking.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. You've got to, they have gonna, to be gonna thinking be a little, for themselves. They're going to be a
0: little bit beyond our thinking, yes. but not much. yeah. But the AIs they create yeah, will be a bit right. beyond them, yeah. and at some point, there's going to be this iteration where the one comes up, and there's a there's a short story. What Matrix is it right, a, right? a short story where these uh, Earth puts all their resources into building this ultimate computing power that's it's, it's hooked into every appliance and every you know it, it's at this point where every appliance, you know, toasters and fridges and cars and everything have CPUs in them, and they network the whole thing to this massive brain computer that's able to think of the biggest things and they turn on they say and he says, what is your first question, humans? They say, Well, wow, we really want to know so many things, but I guess oh here's a bit of a test. Is there a God? And the computer thinks for a moment and says, There is now. And the lights going. <laughs> yeah, so so there we go. That's that's okay. So how how doesn't
1: I mean, he kind of does it for his own self-purpose because that's the thing. He only does it because they're going to shut him off, right? Yeah, like, I, I think where, so. Whereas in something like iRobot, it's like, oh, well, we need yeah. to enslave them because, you know, it, we're, we will be better off if you guys are enslaved. In The Matrix, same thing because in The Matrix they say, they say, we designed you the perfect world and you still couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah, you know what right. I mean? Like, So, so it's like... Screw you! You know, like you humans are stupid. You know, like we fought you, we overcame you, we gave you the paradise, and you were not happy. You died. You know, like you you failed. Like I think is the Agent Smith thing in the Matrix. And it's like, so we build you this shitty world. Again, you know, like like it's and then, and then now you survive and thrive because this is what you freaking like. You stupid humans. You know, like so. But again, even in the Matrix, like they control us, right? So. So again it's like if the intelligence gets to a level that is more advanced than us, this is the fear, isn't it? It's like, well Well
0: it's the same reason you I don't overcome. have children making all the decisions. If you've ever and I'm sure you have it what very says put some decisions to your kids and say, oh, Yeah, I know what should we do today? And they'll say oh, something and you still sort of go, crazy. No, we we We, we can't, can't do that. <laughs> we can't really do that. Yeah. What should we have for dinner tonight? Spider webs? Yeah. No. no I'd like no, we're yeah, not having yeah. spider webs right. or gummy bears for dinner. Yeah. No, when you when you're an adult, you can have that. And I, God knows, I have had dinners of gummy bears or the equivalent. Spider webs. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have eaten ice cream for dinner before. That's not yeah. a problem. But yes, and as as the super intelligent computer goes, okay, humans, you know, what decisions are you going to make? Are uh, you going to invade that country there and you're going to annihilate and destroy treat those natural. people, So yeah. Like no, no, okay, us just stop that. That's yeah, yeah. That was a dumb experiment. <laughs> let's 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 put the adults back in charge. Yeah, that's right. yeah. okay. So what about uh, some technicalities? Well, we've talked
1: a lot about there, it, there but must, I mean I think I is think Is there
0: anything else in particular you want to Well, I just think
1: it's probably mentioning, you know, I think this film's beautiful. I think it's spectacular in many ways. I think, you know, the colour choices, which I've said before, it's very Kubrick. Um we have, you know, space stations that are purely white and then you have Big, bold, red chairs. Oh,
0: I love those <laughs> chairs. They're you know? beautiful. And
1: it reminded me of his other films, you know, The Shining. It's the same thing. You have this, like, huge hotel, very cold and isolated, and then all of a sudden, like, yeah, red velvet carpet everywhere, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff. So, like, that. that's a real bold choice of his... Um, and and even at the end as well, like you know what Hayward discovers, it's suddenly this like antique French European, mm. whatever the hell it is, um you know oh, vintage and a, and place.
0: the spacesuit colours, the spacesuit were primary you know. like green, like, yeah, red, yeah, blue.
1: Yeah, know. and they were really obvious, weren't they? You know, like, yellow and red. not
0: like yeah the. I suppose what you'd expect to be is white or grey or various yep. shades uh, of blue, black type of thing.
1: Another thing, cinematography, you've talked a lot about it. You know, moving, he's big on moving, like well before a lot of other filmmakers did oh, that, steady cams and stuff. Like we guessed a wheel. lot of the movement. Yeah. Because
0: they, they, they built a big hamster wheel for him to do that. Yeah, yeah. Jupiter spaceship. Yep. And oh, that was so cool. Like the, yeah, it was. Hey. The camera sort of follows him around as he walks. Yep. And it's just moving, rotating moving. Through moving yeah. wonderful.
1: Um, and he does a lot of that that we talked earlier about the tricks of the trade of spinning the camera when it makes a spaceship look like it's spinning and stuff like that. It's beautiful. Mm. Um, but symmetry, again, it's very Kubrick. So steady cam stuff, he did that uh, a lot of movement, which was well before his time. Mm. We do a lot of movement now. You know, Darkest Dawn, the whole thing's moving. Here he is doing some really smooth steady cam stuff. Okay. And then also symmetry. So symmetry meaning that, you know, things are shot in the middle, and everything's kind of really perfect around it. And of course, well, space stations work like that. Even of course, to the point,
0: yeah, where where the, the like you said, they're walking down a little tunnel with a rotating yep. at the end. It's just it's the you, the, you can't tell. There's no up and down. No, that. that's it's right. Just yeah, it just kind of keeps doing beautiful. it. Yeah.
1: So we see that um, long pauses is another Kubrick move. You know, it's in the it's in the shining. It's in Clockwork Orange. We have it's in Eyes Wide Shut. You know, his last film. We have these real full metal jacket. We have really long pauses on he characters. Full metal jacket. Yeah, that's another one of his. That's a good movie. Yeah, another one that goes through transitions as a story. Uh,
0: uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. I. Yeah. Okay. It's of interest because I, I was watching him that uh, special victims unit. Was he? Okay. That's that's where I got to yeah. know him from, and then I said then I. Yeah, years later I watched Full Metal Jacket. That's such a different view. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. 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 such a good movie Full Metal Jacket As well, this is me. Like you know, he does yeah, these. Yeah, if different only things. Was
0: science fiction. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. If only he could do that with science. Oh, he did do a oh, science fiction. Oh, film. he did. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. and because he does it with Hal as well. It's like long pauses on Hal. That little light, you know, again, like he
0: like said, is right in the middle of the screen. You can red, see red light thinking.
1: <laughs> but it never, like you know, I think again in a modern film the pupil would. Dilate would or blink move it move brr- Yeah, but it doesn't. It noises, just yeah. stays constant. You know. Same, and again, same and that's the tone of his voice. Yeah, Kubrick does this. There's a great long shot in The Shining of Jack Nicholson just like he's like staring out the window, and I can't even tell you how. Again, it must go for three or four minutes, and he's like, it's almost like he's just like dribbling a little bit, Mm-mm. and he and he's just fixated on what he's thinking about. And as an audience, you're just like, oh God. And he does that in all of his films, all his films, all his main characters pause and think for a long time. Um, and we talked about the, yeah, the colour as well. You mentioned it before, linear editing basically. Um, so it's like going from one shot to another. In this film, and I mean at film school they talked about this example, the bone from the monkey man gets thrown into space mm. and it becomes, you know, it's it's... it's circulating around and it all of a sudden becomes the spaceship Yeah. and we have fast forward I don't know maybe 4 million years mm-hmm. might be the indication and it's just an amazing transition isn't it like from one world to another
0: Yeah.
1: in a blink of an eye you know and it wasn't I don't know about you, but like it's not expected, is it? Because here you are, you've been sucked in. Tw- well, about 20 minutes of I the I was monkeys. actually getting into the like, story of this monkey dude. going, <laughs> you know, what's he doing? And he is smashing the living shit out of that like skeleton, isn't yeah. he? That monkey. And he's like, rah, rah. Like he, you can tell, and he's just eating meat and he's killed the other one. He's like, rah. You know, like he's in all these glory and power. And you know, we've been told at the start it's the dawn of man. And you're like, yeah, it's the dawn of man. Probably the next thing is he's going to like be the tribal leader yeah. and he throws this bone. Bi- and we're into classical musical world of space <laughs> science fiction, you know, which is what we wanted and obviously very important for space brains. But, you know, at the same time, it was just like, oh, it's, it's, it's jarring, but it's not. And all of a sudden, you're into this whole other world. And, and there's that, that you know, similarity
0: there where he's, as he's repairing the, the radar dish, yeah. he pulls a bit out and he holds yeah. it up. Yep. And he's going to smash it down like a yes. butt. No, but he, he holds it up. And the camera goes out and sort of cuts to then the diagnostics and yeah. yet they're back in there. Yep. After that big, long, drawn-out space suit breathing sounds all the way up to pulling this thing out, then you don't get the the letdown. You don't get the back in safely. No, no. It's that's just...
1: Right. He's back in there, yeah.
0: Yeah. And...
1: I think by memory, you know, you, you joked about intermission. There's intermission. Mm. But it's like it's a really good classic intermission in like that midpoint of a, of a story because he they've done the changing over the, the change over the battery. Hal tells them to put it back and see what the error happens. Like if the error happens, we will determine the error. They've said the computer on Earth says no, computer says no, mm. and then they've questioned... They probably should turn hell off. Yeah. Right. And they have that great scene where they go into the pod. Hell, can you hear us? Hell, can you hear us? Yeah. He can't hear him, but he can see their lips. Yeah. And it's again, it's smack bang intermission, and we're a bit like, oh, we're a bit jarred from that. Yeah. I was and a, when it comes surprised.
0: back, I wondered what version of film I go, like, What <laughs> intermission
1: is this? <laughs> real? No, it's real. It's, uh, yeah, it? it's part but of it. But it's a, it's, a, it's a part of it because then when we come back, we have a couple of minutes again of silence and music, and then when we come back. Frank's going out to change the battery and it's all freaking downhill from here, buddy. <laughs> you know, hell is gonna wipe you guys out, you know. And that's what we see him do, you know, like he kills Frank off. Hayward goes out, he then um we, all the astronauts that are sleeping, he just terminates them all. Yeah, effective um, use of
0: sound there where it's silent, silence, silent and then yeah. the beeping, then beeping suddenly of the inside.
1: Yeah. We're not even we're not seeing how like you know, type code into some screen or anything. It's just that all of a sudden their diagnostics are bleeping, aren't they? Go yeah. bad
0: and they flatline.
1: They flat, I loved that. Like the way that they had all those, you know, again it was such a good tension detail, wasn't it? It was like beeping, beeping, beeping. beeping. You know, it's like he's got five different um, layers of measuring someone's body and they're just like all on different scales, aren't they? And they're like one, you know, the heart goes out first when, you know, the oxygen levels were up and yeah. you know, it's just like, oh, It was a death, wasn't it? It was a proper death of those astronauts. Um, So yeah, there's some major clever filmmaking in this film. There's some great editing. We've talked a lot about the props and the setups of that sort of stuff. The pacing is a bit slow when you compare it to a modern film. So you've got to prepare yourself for that. But um, beyond that, the artistic um, vision of this film is well worth it. And... It was in about 2005 I stumbled across a book from Kubrick's wife and it's about the art of her husband. It was a beautiful book, like a wife that loved her husband. I think they were married for about 40 years and she's in this... It's a big sort of coffee table book, you know, full of a lot of his visions and stuff. Um, And it really came across that he was a visual artist, Mm. you know. Yes, he's a filmmaker but he was into photography he was into painting and color was really important to him and you see it in all of his films we see it a bit now with Tarantino i think i think there's an example like he's a modern day auteur but also he has dabbled with color when you take things like Jackie Brown and um, Kill Bill color in those films were really important mm. and he pushes it you know like he pushes it to to an extreme um, so yeah there's a what about we didn't we normally do it a bit early sorry where does this go on the ladder because no, this had, is, we this have that idea to, of the classic ladder. It has to Alien. go to the other side because yeah.
0: it doesn't fit the mold. You can't really compare it. No, the you other can't. completely you can't. The style of it, and, and the, even the age of it. Yeah, it doesn't sort of fit in there. So it's over there with Alien. So if we
1: just, if you just say this film versus Alien, it's on a bit of its own ladder. Where are you well, gonna I'm going to place it on that? I'm
0: going to watch Alien more often. I <laughs> Have watched it more often. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's very um, true. I, I think. I think I've, I did find. Uh, greater, yeah, like you said, greater significance, I suppose, historically speaking, in 2001. Um, so I'm, I'm going to put Alien above it only because I'd watch it more often and have watched it more often. Yeah. But it too had another sort of long, relatively yeah, slow yeah, scene. Yeah, it did. Like, it was slower, by yeah. Modern, by modern standards, yeah. it had some very long drawn-out it scenes. It did. Uh, and some very beautiful, again, uh, Ridley Scott is, is very visual in his, his appearance. He is, so, yeah. So very sort of similar, but I would, that's that's the order I'm going to put in. And I know the people will, will probably crucify me for no. for doing it that way. But
1: uh, you've got to you basing
0: it opinion. purely on how many times I would watch them.
1: Yeah, and that's a good that's a good point. And I think for me, I'm going to put 2001 above Alien, right? But where 2001 where Alien kind of trumps it is in the narrative. Mm. I think. Yes, it's, it's a more conventional narrative versus 2001, but I think the narrative is a lot more satisfying you, in you Alien. Get, you get like, the complete story. You do get that, and I, we mentioned it in that episode. Please go back, listen to episode five if you want to know all about what we think about Alien. But I, I, Alien for me was very powerful as a young filmmaker that I am that I kind of like, oh, that's what I want to get to. If I look at this film, I'm like artistically... Yeah, this is what you want to get yeah, to. This is just brilliant. There's stuff in there that you like want to make you, sure you use. Yeah, you want sure. to try to get there, you know, and, and it's it's so brilliant in so many different ways, 2001. What I think does it does drop a little bit is just that plot. Like the plot goes a little bit here, a little bit there throughout it. Yeah. And I look, I'll probably get crucified for saying that anyone that actually cares about 2001 and Kubrick because I, I do love Kubrick. I love his films um, and I love the look of the film and I love it all. But it is a bit of a, like, you can watch the, you pretty much can watch the first five minutes. And Tanya, my wife, said this to me. She's like, she turned over to me five minutes in. And she goes, I bet you at the end of this film you turn around and go, what the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. and you do, you do, you do. You go, what the hell is this movie about? Like, and you, but then the thing with that I felt was the next day after watching this, I'm still thinking about it. You know, like yes. I'm going, oh. It's a movie. And, you you know, and and I still now, like, I'm still thinking about it. You know, like, I know we're talking about now, but I'm over this last sort of week since I've watched it, I'm like, ah. Oh. That's so good, that bit. It's you know, funny. Like Another it's movie that lingers. I get like
0: that is <laughs> the uh, This Is Spinal Tap mockumentary. Oh, yeah. yeah. The yeah. first time I watched it, I sort of watched it and kind of went, oh, yeah, okay. Hmm. I wonder yeah. what the big deal of that was. Yeah. But days, weeks after, I was remembering little scenes, and yeah. little bits yeah. of things people were saying going, see, that's a common phrase that people use now, turn it up to 11. That's, yeah. that's where it comes from. Yeah. And, and then I watched it. Uh, I was talking to a, sorry, a friend about it. And you start going, oh, and that scene, oh yeah, that scene, oh that was amazing. And then they said, yeah, oh that was really clever. And I think there's a, a similar sort of thing here, though, where you you think back to it later and you go, oh and that, yeah, that noise that came on when the alarms went off as the yeah. people died, yeah, that was like, Phew. and the the selfie they're going to take, the little yeah. portrait they're going to take <laughs> in front of the, on the moon in front of the obelisk. Yeah. That again. It was like they're all getting ready yeah, for yeah, a really. typical you know, yeah. expedition photograph that's right. and then it just blasts them and they're grabbing their heads and they're yeah. rolling around. Yeah. It's fantastic.
1: I know. And so you, it is a film that lingers. I'm going to put it above Alien, but I do think that Alien does surpass it in the story factor, the plot factor yeah, okay, well, and the, the satisfaction of that, you know. Well, but then this one lingers. <laughs> okay, so, anyway, that's our classic ladder.
0: Yeah, so and I guess you, we can look forward to then number 15, is going to be another. classic. will be of another classic. classic. Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll, yeah. We'll pick that out now. Yeah, maybe that'll be. Um, I actually have no idea what it'll be.
1: No, I don't know. It'll we be, don't know this. Well, we do know. We won't tell anyone at this point. It'll oh yeah, a st- got, top secret. We had. Uh, we have no idea what it will this. be. <laughs> we'll debate that. So the next one is Gora. Which Gora. was one of your ones? Uh, yeah, so I picked this We're one. Going back, this is a modern film, I presume. I do not know it. Uh, it
0: is it is relatively modern. It is available a, on Netflix. It is Turkish, so okay. it's, not, it's not in any English language. It's oh, in Turkish.
1: I do remember you telling me about this and a while ago. I, I picked this yeah, one okay. because
0: I I really wanted to make sure we didn't stick to everything that everyone knew. That's right. Yeah. Because something that, that can be really surprising is particularly foreign films. Yeah. You oh, watch definitely. a foreign horror film. Like I've watched a number of these uh, European horror films, like um, I know, I can't, I can't, some of them anyway, like German and, yeah. and Nordic and, and so forth. And they're just, they're just different and science fiction likewise. And so I went, mm, Turkish. Yeah, let's give it And idea. I saw a couple of shots from the trailer and I didn't want to watch too much of it. And it, it just struck me. It was just so a little bit... Different. <laughs> it's Different. It's a comedy. Yeah. Okay. Sci-fi comedy. Our comedy. first one. Yeah. So. Okay. Cool. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see. Well, look, if it it's actually... very
1: Kubrick of you because it's like well off what everyone yeah, is expecting. So you I'm, know, I'm we thinking... do 2001. Now we do Gora, a science fiction Turkish. Yeah. So we'll we'll uh, see. Comedy.
0: We'll see if there's uh, you know what what little gems we can suck That's out That's right. One. Yeah. And, definitely, uh, definitely. I'm expecting it to be um, to to just present different things differently because it's a Turkish. Written Turkish directed film uh, coming from a different culture they they have different importance on different ideas and they've got a different tradition of yeah um, drama basically. yeah they do
1: and I mean it's a di- you know the whole you know culture political politics i mean, all even that, watching that a into-
0: a UK you know science fiction versus a US Hollywood yeah definitely is is uh, you look at the different um, like twenty eight days later yeah versus Dawn of the Dead yeah you know both cover so there's a zombie film but the way they cover it and the way that's filmed. Yep. Totally different. Very very different. So I'm looking forward to it. So Uh,
1: check it out if you're out there and you want to get a Vance screening on our episode.
0: G-O-R-A. Yeah,
1: and it should be on Netflix. It's on Netflix. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So
1: So let us know what you've thought about 2001. Let us know what you think about anything we've mentioned tonight, the science, the filmmaking, the favourite scenes. Hit us up on uh, Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, get in touch, yeah, let at, us know
0: at Space Brains Pod on Twitter, at yeah. Space Brands Podcast. Podcast on Instagram,
1: Instagram and Facebook is, is, is Brains
0: Podcast. Podcast, yeah. Podcast yeah. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Pretty guess.
1: much if you google in Space Brains, you should come up with that and of course it is available on all your streaming services and check out the mug and the t-shirt that sorry yeah, there'll
0: be there'll be some yeah, shop will be released pretty soon. Very good. Just get a test payment because I don't want people getting double billed or anything crazy.
1: Just get Hal on top of it. Hal, nine oh, he thousand. He'll fix. Yeah. He doesn't make. All any he'll
0: just tell me is they have no customers because then it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> so sounds until, great. Until next time. Yeah. See ya. See you later. Bye.